You're too close. Things have been quiet for five years, and that's the way we want to keep it. Ah! Ah! Help! God damn that Paul! Him and his wilderness bullshit! I don't want to scare anyone, but I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. Hi, this is Lauren Marie Taylor from Friday the 13th Part 2 and Girls' Night Out. And you're listening to The Hysteria Continues. Yes, welcome back to The Hysteria Continues. And this time we are returning to Camp Crystal Lake for the second time with a Friday the 13th Part 2 themed episode, which we're all very excited about because, as you can probably imagine... Uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 is one of our favourite movies and I think we'll probably all agree on that um, so got plenty to come up um, but w- without further ado um, I shall introduce you to our fellow happy campers um, how are you doing Nathan? I'm okay okay any any more to add or you're just okay but well, that's good it's really warm here is it? oh well it's not so warm here. Is it still? Because last time we spoke, you said it was so hot you could fry an egg on the sidewalk. Oh, yes. It's worse now. They Is got it? up to 107 yesterday. Wow. What's that in centigrade? I'm not sure what centigrade is, but it sounds like retrograde. Is that the same thing? The human centigrade. Human centigrade. Um no, well, I don't. I don't know. It's 30 degrees is hot here, so but we rarely. Oh wow, that's really cold here. Is it? But I think that's um, yeah. Well, we won't get into centigrade Fahrenheit discussion just now because um, it's uh, probably not the best thing to be doing. But um, well, I'm glad it's you're a, nice. It equals the 41 degrees Celsius or centigrade. Oh really? 41. Mm. Wow, that is that hot. is quite hot. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, how are you doing, Eric? Well, I'm okay. The computer told me I was a dead fuck, but apart from that, I'm okay. Oh, yes. Mm. Jumping ahead to part four there, I think, for a little, little reference fine. to part four. No, no, the computer just actually did tell me I'm a dead fuck. Did it? Yeah. That's not very, that's not very nice. Is, is Siri, no. is it like the kind of um, the iPhone thing? Did, did you say, <laughs> what am I? And it said, you're a dead fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that's rude. exactly what happens. Gosh. But, um, and Joseph, how are you doing? I'm I'm quite well despite the heat, but um I just need to say that there's no seconds on chunky Kit Kats for Eric tonight. Oh, Eric's been poking around that uh, campground again, haven't you? I have. Yes, he has. Poking away. Poking You're away. too close, Eric. Looking Things for... have been quiet for five years, and we want to keep them that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been looking for muffin. <laughs> I'm always looking for muffin. Yes. <laughs> Somehow uh, I don't believe that. <laughs> But Just to get to get back to the weather-related conversation, Nathan, it's fifty-nine degrees Fahrenheit here in Dublin at the moment. Oh, okay, that's nice. I want that. Oh, you're welcome to it. <laughs> well, Nathan, if it'll make you feel any better, I think tonight the heat wave ends, and it's supposed to be like in the the upper eighties all week this week. <sighs> I can live with that. Yeah, me too. Well, I hate this weather. It's just brutal. Well, also just to say, just in case you're confused and it's really cold where you are when you hear this, um, we're recording this special Friday 13th episode a fortnight before we actually release it. So um, 
because again our jet set lifestyles we are all well mm. we're kind of all have lots of different things to do so we're trying to fit in fit everything around each other um so we wanted to make sure we had a friday 13th episode ready for july the 13th which is when hopefully this will um this will uh, air and um, hopefully the sound issues that plagued the last um, podcast, our Bloody Moon podcast, will hopefully be a thing of the past. But um, we'll keep fingers crossed. Um, also, just say I'm a little bit hungover today. I haven't been hungover for a little while on the podcast, have I? I've been quite good. But um, mm. we had a Poseidon Adventure theme party uh, last night. And um, yes, uh, and uh, yes, we had like a big bowl of sea breeze. Um, Did you go down, Justin? I went down many times. We bobbled around. <laughs> You're so naughty. Good boy. <laughs> I don't remember them getting drunk when the Poseidon went down. <laughs> well, they were all quite merry, weren't they? They were quite merry. Did you see? Mm. Did you see the photos of our upside down Christmas tree? I like the upside yes. down Christmas yeah. tree. Yes, that we was did. awesome. I I really enjoyed that. We didn't climb it, but um, who yes, were we you had... dressed as again? Well, I, I I originally was dressed as the um, the captain Leslie Nielsen, um, mm. but you didn't see the photos of that. And then, then I um, I came as a Greek widow. Oh, I was thinking that was you. Yes, because it was hard to tell because you had huge big shades on yes. that masked high, half your face. But I was thinking it was you. Yes, yes. I don't. There wasn't a Greek widow. I was kind of Jackie Onassis. It was kind of a bit of a shipping thing going on. But uh, um, see, I thought the guy with the grey beard was you. It kind of looked like you. No, that was Manny. Oh, okay. Oh, from the Stone Roses? No, from Poseidon Adventure. He's uh, Shelley Winter's oh, husband. Sorry. husband. No, the guy, the, the actual guy who was dressed up, he actually kind of looked like you in the photo. Okay, okay. Well, Maybe it's, well, angle. I don't know. plenty of fun was had and um, uh, paying for it a little bit now, but not too bad, actually, considering I thought it might be worse. So, so but anyway, enough of the preamble. Back to Friday 13th, and we've got um, a great show coming up. We've got an interview with Russell Todd. Um, who played Scott in uh, the, the Friday sequel. Um, Eric, you spoke to him, didn't you? This is a second part of an interview, actually. You did a while Yeah, the, I did this interview actually last July, so it's almost a year old. Or it is a year old. Today is the 1st of July. Um, you yeah. interviewed him for Chopping Mall, didn't you? I did, yeah. And on the same day, I interviewed oh. him for Friday 2, you know, assuming correctly, as it turns out, that we would cover it at some stage. Yes. And um, so we've got that coming up. We've also got another top three, and it's top three... And this is where the cat flushing toilet really comes to the fore because we're doing the top three worst Friday the 13th moments. So see if you agree. If you don't agree, um, let us know. And we'll be giving some details about feedback a little bit later. Um, but first up, do you, guys, should we talk about, um, I think it's only a week since we last recorded, but um, have you been watching anything of note? Um, how about you, Nathan? You said last time you were going to see what you could uh, watch some scary movies. I watched an unbelievably incredible film last night that I've seen many times, and it's absolutely brilliant. I love it. Here we go. Yeah, Movie here we House go. Massacre. <laughs> it's called Movie House Massacre, and it is awesome and wonderful, and I made Wes watch it, and he did not like it, so I think his taste in movies is a little suspect. Um but it's just a brilliant film, and I don't want to say too much about it because I am going to be picking it very soon. Well, let's God just say I hope, oh, I hope I can get hold of um, Serena the Usher, Usherette. Well, let's see. Keep fingers crossed. That's the door opening. <laughs> yes. He actually, Wes was like, are they on Star Trek? He's like, why is the doors making that sound? 
<laughs> it's a very odd movie, very odd movie. But um, yeah, well, that'll be an interesting one for you to cover. I've actually, I think I might outdo you for my next pick, Nathan. But that's all I'm going to say <gasps> when it comes that's to not bad possible. movies. Oh, I think it actually is. I think it really is. I'm interested now. Mm. You have to I tell us I have a show. I have Sorry. an idea, so. I want to see if it's what I'm thinking. You have to tell us after we stop recording. Yeah. Okay. Well, I might. I'll see how masochistic or sadistic I'm feeling. Um, Well, Nathan's next, right? And then it's you. So. Yeah. Okay. Soon. You already know what my next pick is. I'm very excited about it. Yes. Yes. You you are unanimous in that. Actually, I am excited about that one. I like that one. Good. Okay. Right, right. Well, yes, we'll well we'll be saying at the end of this episode, won't we? What the the next pick is. So stick around for yeah. that. Um, anything else, Nathan? Um, no, not really. Wes made me watch Superman three because I made. I him love watch Superman three. Uh, it was awesome too. just because it's so bad. It's hilarious. Mm. It is that's, so that's, stupid. But that scene. If you want to see bad? Watch part robot. four. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I loved it because it was so bad. Yeah, but and where was Lois Lane? She's in it for like three minutes. I think she wanted too much money. Uh, that Richard Pryor took up a lot of screen time. Mm. But, but if you want to see really, if you want to see really bad, watch Part Four with the uh, the Solar Guy has his enemy. Yeah. That is hideously um, awful. And John Cryer from Pretty in Pink is in it as well. Yeah, what that's were you right. going to say, Eric? I was going to say, do you not think that that's, that scene where the woman is turned into a robot used to freak me out when I was young? <laughs> it's really scary, I think, no? Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe if I, when I was young, I might have thought so. But just watching it now, I thought it was all funny. And I like the bit where Superman spits in two, sort of good Superman and bad Superman. That was fun, I thought. Yeah. And he fixes the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yes. And then he oh. leans it back again. Yeah. I can't remember. I think it's part three, but... um. It may be part two. It's been so long since I've seen him. But the guy that when um, Superman's Clark Kent and he loses his powers, is that part three? That's part two. Okay, that's part two. The guy that beats him up in the in the, in the the coffee shop is one of the guys from Scream, the old 1981 film. The the, the Bob oh. character is always, like, getting angry. He's the one that beats up Superman. Somebody in the original Scream had a second credit. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I thought some of them were like Western actors from yesteryear or something. Yeah, they were. They were Plus, selling think, scream. I think that guy, uh, his name's Pepper Martin. He was in Superman 2. I think he was a baseball player at one point. He was also in Return to Horror High. Yeah, that's right. He was, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Well, um, I don't think I've seen Superman 3 so or Superman 4, so one day, one day. But any, anything else, Nathan? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, all right. Well, thank you very much. Um, how about you, Eric? Yeah, I watched rewatched um, Dario Argento's Opera during the week, and it's a good film. <gasps> what? No, no, that's my favorite one. Oh, is it? Because I was about to say, yes. I really, really like it, and I think it's even better than Tenebrae, and I think it is his last um, grade A film. Um, it's about a young opera singer who, she's an understudy, and the lead in the opera of Verdi's Macbeth is knocked down and she breaks her legs so she takes over and then ends up being stalked by a maniac who ties her up and forces her to watch uh, as the killer murders her friends by he straps pins under her eyes so she can't uh, you know shut them uh, which I think is really an, an interesting interesting idea and there's you know plenty of trademark Argento swooping camera moves and there's a fantastic sequence where um, Daria Nicolodi gets shot in the head spoiler alert-ish because it happens maybe halfway through the film uh, where you see the bullet 
uh, she's looking through a keyhole to see who's at the door and he fires the gun and you can see the bullet in slow motion going through the keyhole and it blasts her in the head and it goes right through her head and makes a telephone explode uh, behind her which I think was a uh, you know a fantastic sequence and you know it's it's something he tried to replicate not that particular scene but he tried to replicate the funny camera angles and all that in Stendhal syndrome but this time using CGI and he failed miserably I thought Uh, but I, I do think opera is fantastic as I said uh, his last great film, and I thought better than Tenebrae and Phenomena. Um, but yeah, I was watching that. It was the first time I've seen it in a number of years and really enjoyed it. I would agree. I love opera. But did you think um, William McNamara's dubbing was just horrendous? It just did not fit his body or his face. Who, who, which one was William he's McNamara? The one, he's the one that's in Copycat and he gets stabbed in the throat. I haven't seen cop. Oh, he's the one who got stabbed in the throat in opera. Yeah, he's, he's right. actually, he was he was pretty famous in the late eighties and early nineties. Uh, but uh, I liked a, I liked his um, his American uh, actor. His, his his dubbing was just atrocious. It's like I liked his new romantic fringe was what I liked mm-hmm. most about him. It was kind of yeah. um, there was a program which he, I think you probably got in America called uh, Eurotrash which mm. um, they used to do um, interview people from the continent and they used to put on really, really stupid, inappropriate <laughs> accents for them. And yes. so they would have like a little little old man speaking and they'd have a really gruff voice or a, um, a kind of attractive young woman speaking and make a sound like a sort of gravelly old grandma. Um, and it was kind of, that's what they did with opera a bit, didn't they, when they did this? It must have, there must have been the Eurotrash um, school of um, overdubbing, I think. But it does add to the charm. <laughs> it does. Much like in Bloody Moon last week. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Eurotrash and Bloody Moon, uh, Jess Franco once appeared on Eurotrash in an interview. Again, he was dubbed with, you know, probably a, a deep Yorkshire accent or something. But I watched another Jess Franco during the week, which was Countess Perverse, which has just come out on the Mondo Macabro label. And it's one I hadn't seen before. Uh, it's kind of the most dangerous game in uh, done in the style of Jess Franco. There's mm. a girl who goes to an island and there are two sort of cannibalistic um, people living there who not only like to eat human flesh, but like to make their prey um, suffer by make, setting them loose in the woods and then running after them with a bow and arrow to kill them. Um, it's... Very Jess Franco is what I'll say about it. Um, every 10 minutes, the film stops dead in its tracks for a scene of two sort of lesbians, you know, munching on each other's bits uh, for, you know, five or 10 minutes at a time. And it does drag in those scenes, believe it or not. Uh, but on the whole, I thought it was, it was, it was fairly decent. Uh, it's got this incredible... <laughs> what are you laughing at? Sorry. It's just you were talking about lesbians munching on each other's bits, and then you said, on the whole, I thought. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, that deserves a matron and a half. Right yeah. Hold on, let me let me just uh, get it up. <laughs> no, please. Oh, your hand. <laughs> well, <laughs> what's really good about this film, I thought, was there's this incredible location. There's this house well, that looks like it's on an island, but I think in reality it's on the mainland. But the house itself is this weird um, uh, avant-garde design. It looks like the Cabin in the Woods poster. You know the Cabin in the Woods poster where it looks like the cabin is a Rubik's Cube? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this this um, building looks like that. And it, it actually is a, well, obviously it's a real building. There's no way Jess Franco could afford to construct something like this on his budgets. But um, it's a place called Xanadu, believe it or not, that's in um, uh, a town called, I think it's Kelpa in Spain. It's halfway between Alicante and Valencia. 
Um, and uh, it's just an incredible design. I mean, it does look exactly like the Cabin in the Woods poster and like the interiors are, are just as spectacular. And he really gets good mileage out of that. I mean, it's a brief 75 minutes. Um, so apart from the lesbian munching, uh, I thought it was pretty fast paced <laughs> and intriguing. Mm. Well, is that that house? It's not. I've seen a sim. Well, not that that one, but um, one where it's got like a kind of James Bond lair type thing with big mm. uh, windows. It's not that one, is it? Uh, it could be. I mean, I'm, I'm. I'd be very surprised if it hadn't. Like it appears in another Jess Franco film. They say on the extras, but I'd be very surprised if it hadn't been used by sort of bigger budget productions because it's very unique looking and, and really striking. Okay. Yeah. No, I just saw it on like some property program, and they they showed um, you know people buying stuff abroad, and they showed people around that as a potential place to buy. Mm. And it, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. It was on for about a million uh, euros or something like that. But yeah, it looked amazing. Well, well, my friend uh, Stephen Thrower is does a he does uh, an interview on the DVD. Um, he says that they're going for a quarter of a million now. If you want an apartment in the Xanadu complex, really which isn't that, which isn't that expensive really. No. In this day and age, no, it's not actually, especially in Spain. Mm. Um, right. Well, um, I must admit, I'm not in any great rush to watch a new old Jess Franco. Um, I, I'm not sure if he's my cup of tea. But apart from, I love Bloody Moon, but um, uh, all the other, apart from Faceless, I did enjoy Faceless. But I kind of most of his, he's kind of more known, isn't he, for those kind of surrealist kind of. Um, lesbian style things which mm. if it's that's your cup of tea then great but it's not really well the so. euro trash well euro cult i should call him actor howard vernon does get his knob and bum out in this one okay. as well so it's not all just lesbians <laughs> right well mind you he's not he's not a looker really is he howard no, vernon? no 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 so uh yeah well okay well any, anything else uh no that's it okay well thank you very much and what about you joseph um, well, I rewatched From Dusk Till Dawn, and oh, I love that film. I love the the twist in the middle because it's one of the movies I saw, and I didn't know it was a vampire film. So you know, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, "Oh, this is just a crime movie," and it's pretty good. And then, bam, the vampires attack. But that's all I really say. I mean, I've seen it a thousand times, and mm. I still enjoy Spoiler. it. Oh, come on! It's like 20 years old. If you haven't seen it by now, go <laughs> fuck yourself. But <laughs> sorry, I'm not that. How rude. dare you? I also rewatched Feast. I had seen that when it came out, and I didn't really remember much about it. And watching it again, I think I know why. Because I don't really care for anyone in the film. And another problem I have with it is it has this one joke where it puts like their life expectancy on the screen, and they do it over and over. You know, the first couple times it's kind of it's kind of humorous, but then they just like beat you over the head with it. And a lot of the humor in the film is that way. They just don't know when to quit. And finally, I I hated the the camera work in this. I mean, the camera would not sit still for not even a second. I mean, it was always like shaking back and forth, swooping, whoosh, whoosh. It just it beats you to death. And I don't know. I didn't hate the film, but I, I probably won't go out of my way to watch it ever again. It sounds to me like you did hate the film. <laughs> well, I mean, it had a it had some great moments, some great gore, and I love the creatures in the film. But other than that, I mean, I just, it's not something I don't know. I just I, from *Dust Till Dawn*, which is very similar in tone and in story, is much better. Hmm. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Any, anything else? Um. No. I mean, it's only been a week, so that's yeah. been about it. Fair enough. Okay. Um, just quickly recap what I've been watching. Again, it's, it's only been a week, but um, I watched for the first time a film called The Uncanny from 1977, which is mm. um, kind of a late 
portmanteau, you know, those kind of um, like Tales from the Crypt style, um, Amicus style kind of uh, sort of horrors where you've got three stories um, with a wraparound. And this one, it's um, from yeah, 1977. It's got Peter Cushing, who is convinced that um, cats are evil and um, are going to take over the world, which, you know, um, is, a, is a theory, I kind of guess. But... Um, and so there's three kind of wraparound stories. It's not particularly good. It's not like in anywhere near the kind of um, the, the level of um, Vault of Horror or Tales from the Crypt. And you can see why these kind of films kind of died out in the late 70s. But of interest to, to slash movie fans um, and possibly to Eric as well is that it features um, Samantha Egger and John Vernon from Curtains. So together mm-hmm. on, on screen, perhaps for the first time. Uh, and um, obviously they went on to um, to do uh, Curtains five years later after that. So have any of you seen that? No. Um, that sounds familiar. I think I have seen that a long time ago. It's all the, all the no. stories are kind of linked with cats. They're all kind of like evil cats doing things and, you know. Flushing uh, toilets. Flushing toilets. No, they didn't flush a toilet, I don't think. But they did... Um, there's uh, Susan Penhalligan, who is a kind of uh, she was kind of quite famous in the 70s. Um, she plays a, a, a chambermaid who um, who kind of um, uh, murders her, uh, the woman she's looking after, and the old woman's cats um, attack her and claw her to death. Uh, so, but now yes. wait a minute. What's the one with? Um, there's a cat movie. With, I think it might have George Kennedy in it. Am I thinking oh. of the right? That's that's the uninvited. Oh, the yeah, uninvited. that's the one I've seen. So no, yeah. I haven't seen the one Justin's speaking about. I love the un- uninvited. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah, it's, it's Shari. Is it Shari Shattuck? Is her name? She steals that movie for me. That's such a good movie. <gasps> and it's, you shouldn't get it. You shouldn't get it confused with the. Um, is it the Val Luton uninvited? I think it's Val Luton's uninvited. This yeah. is or the is, the remake of uh, Tale of Two Sisters, which is known as Uninvited as well. Yeah, this is this is prime uh, 100% grade cheese isn't it from start mm. to finish with a cat hand puppet attacking people a mutant cat on a boat which is mm. um yeah is absolutely fantastic but yeah i wish i'd watched that actually um rather than the uncanny but uh, i saw that and i also rewatched and i can't remember if i said last time but um um uh, switchblade romance hot tension um rewatched that and that still sort of really stands up so and um, and I'm sure, especially uh, you, Nathan, will be very pleased. I've just bought uh, Eden Lake on Blu-ray, so I'm going to be watching. We're going to be watching that tonight. So have you? You haven't seen it yet, have you? No, I've seen. Yeah, I have seen it. It's just I'm. Oh, kind of, okay. I'm just kind of catching up with some of the. You know, but basically, I kind of. You know, I, I I tend to buy some of the films on Blu-ray once they once they come out, and I've seen them. But once they've got they go down to the, it's about five pounds, which was about seven or eight dollars or something now. So I thought I'd just add it to the collection. But uh, well, I mean, I don't awesome. mind Eden Lake. I just you know turn it off before it ends. That's all. <laughs> mm-hmm. but of course, of course, Eden Lake's got Michael Fassbender in it, hasn't it? Who's now kind of pretty pretty famous, isn't he? He's in a lot. Very, of them, yeah. You know. um, but he's he's you know good turn in that. So. Uh, but yes, that's so. That's what I've been watching. But we're going veering nicely from the, perhaps some of the best stuff to some of the worst. And I think, um, uh, shall we go delve into the very, very depths of the Friday the Thirteenth universe? And I think, starting off, um, I think we have Joseph's first pick. <laughs> Yeah. 
Okay, Joseph, why is that your number three pick for the worst Friday 13th moments? I think that's supposed to be scary, but at the same time, it's hilarious. I mean, who sits there while they're getting chopped up with a machete or a hatchet or whatever it is Jason's using and sits there and screams, he's killing me, he's killing me. I always thought that scene was just bizarre. And it's so so cringeworthy because the dialogue is just so weird. I mean, I don't think I would say he's killing me. I think I'd be just screaming and i mean he does a lot of screaming maybe he's trying to launch into a version of killing me softly and he just can't get the the softly bit out because he's killing me killing me with a machete sure that could be it do you remind our uh, listeners if they if they don't know what film which one of the series that's from that's friday the 13th uh for the final chapter Mm. and you should know that if you're listening to this episode yes or else we'll be coming well there will be tests later um, oh no, they won't actually. No, <gasps> oh right, no, no. <laughs> but it might. But be. yeah, that's that's it. I mean, it's yeah, it's just that's it. That's all I have to say about it. Okay. Well, what about you guys, um, Nathan? Is that something you would have picked? I mean, I don't know if I necessarily would have picked it, but I can understand why Joe chose it because uh, it is kind of you know awkward, I guess, dialogue. I mean, I've never seen another movie where somebody's screaming, he's killing me, he's killing me. I mean, I don't know. It just seems kind of odd. I'm I'm sure Jason, as he was killing him, was thinking, why the hell is he screaming that? <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, It's pretty obvious that that's what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. He's not giving him a haircut, is he? Or trimming his nose. <laughs> the guy needed him. Giving him a makeover. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, well, yes. Well, I think we might have some controversial um, uh, sort of picks on here. So, Eric, I think this is your number three. You can get me in the lake, and you're not going to get me now. Okay, short and sweet. Um, it's not really a moment in the Friday series as such. It's more of a character, and it's Rennie from Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. I think she's by far the weakest um, final girl in all of the entire franchise. Um, I hate her premonitions and her encounters with sort of Jason, either real or imagined, and her stupid emotional dialogue and the way she goes around with a sulky face on her for the entire film. Um, You know, there's a scene where where Jason comes out of a mirror in a vision um, and the makeup is crap, the child actor playing Jason is crap, she's crap, her hair is crap, everything's just crap. It's crappy crap or something the planet crap and that's all I can say about it. (laughs) Don't hold back. No. Tell us how you really feel, Eric. <laughs> no, I just—I mean, the actress herself. There's nothing terribly wrong with her. It's just the character is so weak and just oh, mm. she's like—I I don't know. Don't take this as an, an offensive way, Justin, but she's like a goth or something. She's just miserable the whole time. <laughs> she's like an emo or something, except she dresses like she's from Pretty in Pink or. Yeah, Club. emos are miserable. Goths aren't miserable, to be fair to no. Justin. But there's nothing miserable about Justin. He's very happy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I was never when I was a goth. Wait, many many years ago, you 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 know, in, say back twenty odd years ago, I was never miserable. I you know hung around in graveyards and drink, drank snake oil and black, but always had a sense of humour about it, which mm. I think you need to if you're doing that kind of thing. But um, yes, I mean to be fair, she was saddled with perhaps the worst perm in history. Mm. Um, although that was what eighty nine, wasn't it, or something? So that yeah. that probably was the. Um, Probably the worst year for fashion in the entire. It's the worst year for Friday the Thirteenth as well. Well, one of. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Well, effectively, that film effectively um, ended the series, didn't it? 
to, yeah, to a great extent. Well, it degree. ended Paramount's involvement anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which Makes is a shame. I mean, I'd, I do, um, I love the artwork. I think the artwork for the mm. the, the, the two ones, the, the original one of um, Jason coming through, I love New York poster is, is fantastic. And also the, I, I've just bought a kind of advanced one sheet of the, the, the one with Jason hovering over, well, no, kind of looming in over Manhattan with a big knife with, you know, New York's got a new problem and it's got, it has so much potential that film, didn't it? But to mm. be fair, it's got a great, um, a great teaser trailer as well. The teaser trailer is fantastic, and I mean, to be mm. fair, it's kind of I think that Paramount were so stingy with their budgets, considering how much money these films made. They could have chucked enough money at this to actually have made this in New York and actually had at least half the film there, rather than mm. the the big cheat, which was essentially Jason on the love boat and then stopping off at New York or Vancouver as it was, and right at the end, which or not right at the end, but the last quarter of the film, and um, yeah, so it had had its problems, had its problems, but uh, mm, I do, I mean, I. Do I do think there are some good elements to it, but uh, I think the last, like once they get to New York, stroke Vancouver, I think it turns really, really dull, and that should have been the moment where it really became really exciting. Mm. It's definitely the worst of the Paramount entries, I'd say. I would say as yes. well, yeah. Yes, okay. agreed. Mm, well, I'm not quite sure, so we might come to that later. <gasps> <gasps> Nathan, did you have any thoughts on on that uh, particular character? Um. You know, I, I don't mind her really, but I do agree that she's the weakest heroine in the entire series. Mm, okay. Sorry, Rennie. I still like you. <laughs> well, let's see if we can get her, interview her when we finally get round to the part eight episode, which might be, God knows, whenever that might be. But um, Nathan, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Nathan, it's your number three. You haven't got a sound clip here, but um, do you want to tell us what is your third worst moment or scene or character from the Friday 13th series? There's not, you know, um, uh, much I could do as far as a sound clip goes, but, um, you know, I just picked this scene. It's not even really a worst scene in my opinion. It was just kind of, I don't know, comical. So I had to pick it. It's from part seven and, you know, it's, um, you know, Jason is chasing, uh, the doctor, Dr. Cruz and Tina's mother, and then, you know, like he kills Tina's mother with a bush axe and then Dr. Cruz runs off and then suddenly Dr. Cruz trips and falls. And then Jason just appears with a giant like tree saw or something. Or I'm like, you know, where is he getting all these weapons at? I mean, like somebody left their tree um, trimmer, I guess, sitting, you know, in the forest somewhere. So, you know, he just kind of picked it up and thought, oh, this will be pretty good. So, and, you know, he took off with it, I guess. But I don't know. I always thought that was amusing when suddenly he just pulls this weapon into the camera's view. It just seemed odd to me. Hmm. Wasn't it, was it, oh, a, I, wasn't it a fly-mo? Was it, do you get fly-mos in America? You know, those kind of circular sort of grass cutters. Because it wasn't in, originally, the, it was supposed to be the goriest, one of the goriest kills, wasn't it? In the Yeah, we call them weed, weed eaters. Right, that's okay. what we call them here. That doesn't look like a weed eater to me. No, it's not a weed eater. That's a tr- that's like a tree, a branch trimmer or something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Okay. But Jason, I mean, that's such a convenient weapon, or he, or he has an accomplice like placing weapons in the woods conveniently at convenient locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, it has might. To get. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, I do. I I still really like Five Thirteen Part Seven. Well. Somebody, somebody's battery's fallen out. Is that your Sorry, that was time? a marble fell off of my desk. A marble? Ooh. Yes, a big pewter-looking marble. Okay. Well, hmm, okay. Sorry for the interruption there. That's no, okay. 
Was there anything else you wanted to say about that, uh, that Nathan? No. No? Okay. Right, well, in that case, this is my uh, worst moment, for th uh, the third worst moment from Friday 13th series. What do I do? Kill it. In my bike. <laughs> Haven't you ever been in the woods? We're not in the woods. <laughs> Jesus, what are you doing with a snake in here? Why are we in here? Whoa, <laughs> don't fail me now. <laughs> Well, we criticised um, Bloody Moon last time for killing a snake on screen, and funnily enough, well not funnily enough, but um, uh, perhaps bizarrely, uh, the follow-up film, Friday the 13th, um, they also kill the snake, a real snake, on screen. I presume it's a real snake, is it? It looks yes. it to me, yeah. It looks it to me, and I think I think um, it's even perhaps even more unforgivable in Friday Thirteenth, considering you had Tom Savini supposedly. Well, no, he was he was the the person who did special effects, and um, and uh, the special effects we know in Bloody Moon were a little bit crude, whereas in Friday Thirteenth, the original Friday Thirteenth, they were pretty polished, and actually the kind of raison d'etre of the film, they were the, the 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 selling point of the film. So it makes it even more reprehensible that they would have uh, chosen to kill a snake in um, in this film. And it, it serves no purpose whatsoever, really, does it? Um, it doesn't no. drive the story forward, doesn't do anything. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's always been... Uh, you never It never really gets talked about, but that's always been... Um, I think it's the only time in all, the whole series that they uh, an animal gets killed... Um, but uh, for real, and um, yeah, so uh, that's my number three. Would you agree, guys? Yes. Yes. Mm. I would yes, have picked definitely. it if you didn't. Mm. Yeah. It's just I, I just don't I just don't know why you know it just doesn't really apart from a cheap thrill it doesn't or not even a thrill but a cheap shock it doesn't doesn't add anything to the film. Uh, no, and as we were saying last week, like of all the animals to recreate as a special effect, the snake is probably one of the simplest. Yes. Yeah, just get a big rubber snake, they look exactly. real. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. With good editing, I mean, you know, it could look like you've killed one, you know, very easily. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, I'm seeming to remember when I interviewed some people from The Burning, they said that Tom Savini was really frightened of spiders, so maybe he's frightened of snakes as well, I don't know. But... Uh, um, and they were laughing about how he was kind of very kind of like this kind of big butch man was very scared of kind of, um, you know, wildlife. So, uh, but yes, I don't really understand why they did that, but, uh, that was my number three. So moving on, we know what's coming next. And <gasps> I think bring it on home. And, uh, and it's very appropriate in this instance. Can't take more than the poke in the ribs to put down this old dog. Oh, yeah, that ought to do it. Okay, Joseph. Ooh, that is from Jason X, and one of the fundamental problems I have with that movie, you know, aside from Todd Farmer's crappy writing, is that, well, actually, to be honest, I hate the entire movie. I, I can't stand Jason X. I I think some of the humor just really destroys what could be you know a, a good campy thrill ride but his you know his sense of humor is just so okay someone just got stabbed so they're going to you know immediately shove out a one-liner and i and i hate that kind of humor and they did that in scream 4 and mm -hmm. we talked about that when that was released when anthony anderson's character got stabbed in the head 
And anytime a movie does that where someone is, you know, facing death and then they just have this cute little ha-ha-ha line, it really makes me cringe. So that's why I picked that. And plus, yeah, again, I hate, hate Jason X. Okay, tell us how you feel, Joseph. Mm-hmm. Okay, I hate Jason X there. What about you guys? Just, what? Um, how about you, Nathan? I like Jason X. I think it's fun. But would you agree with what uh, Joseph said about those kind of some some? Because I've got mixed feelings about it. Because I I, like, I do too. Yeah, I mean, I really like some of the stuff. You know, like the humor works with the um, uh, hologram of the you know the horny campers and stuff like that. That kind of I quite like that. That's quite witty and fun. But yes, I I agree when things uh, something like this kind of just takes you completely out and it it crosses that line, doesn't it? See, I would agree, I would disagree there because if if I recall correctly, in the hologram scene, the girls like said something like, "We enjoy having sex and smoking pot," and no one would really say that in the in the earlier films. They would just do it. I hate that's that the whole joke. didactic. Yeah, that's the joke. That's like didactic. It's beating you over the head. That's the joke. The joke should be them doing it and then him killing them. Uh, it just it bothers me. I don't like stuff like that. Oh, okay. Well, I, told I you like it because I think it's like them misinterpreting what the past was really like. Hmm. I mean, they're treating Jason like he's a moron, and I think that's kind of the joke is that they're treating Jason. See, I don't like think Todd Farmer's script was that smart. I don't think he was as smart as you are, so I have to well, disagree. Then I will take your compliment, even though you disagree. You with better because that's the last one you're going to get ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> God, it's like it's like um, Jerry Springer. It is. Punch Are you calling us Wyatt from the South, Eric? Is that what you're calling us? Oh, God. Move, move on quickly, Justin. Move on. Shall I go on to it? Okay. Um, and here we go. Think? Give me something, baby. What you got for me? Give me something. Swimsuit? Goddamn winter catalog. Gonna have to do. Lady, I'm about to ruin your perfect day. Shit. You scared the piss out of me. Okay, Eric. Okay, that one is from the Friday the 13th remake, which, uh... I probably hate more than Joseph hates Jason X, if that's possible. That was a scene where the token Joker character decides to settle down and give himself a hand shandy. So he settles down with uh, (laughs) a box of tissues and he tries to look for some porn, but the best he can come up with is the winter catalogue of some clothing company. Um, It's just really, really embarrassing. It's lowest common denominator. It doesn't serve any purpose to the story. I just... It was, uh, I, I probably, the film had lost me at that stage anyway, but I mean, if I was with the, with the film at any stage, I would have, that would have been pushed me over the edge. It was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm a fan of Halloween 5, so, you know, a film, a film series can jump the shark completely and I'll still stay with it. But Friday the 13th remake was just ghastly, I thought. And that was God, one of the mate. Hmm? You're such a hateful person. I would never trump that kind of hate on any of the movies. <laughs> no, fair enough. I mean, mm. I don't. Are there any fans here of the remake? Yes, me. Oh, of course no. you are. I liked <laughs> like it. I thought it was fun. Mm. What the whole thing? I mean, I liked bits of it. I thought they, that some of it was um, quite yeah. good. I like. I liked. I quite when Jared Pedalecki is. It was. Quite yeah, grand, I was thinking but, you'd like that bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I like the first 15 minutes. I like that group of characters, the ones that, you know, set up the film. Mm-hmm. But then it shifts to the other ones, and I didn't like them. And I didn't like the whole Jason takes a hostage thing. or mm-hmm. It just felt like a torture porn film almost. Mm-hmm. My okay. biggest complaint would probably be him taking a hostage. It seemed kind of weird to me, but I still liked the film overall. I, I have it on DVD. I need to get it on Blu-ray. It's not as bad as Jason X, but it's It is bad. as bad as Jason X. It's No, they're Jason both X. equally fun. I would disagree. I would disagree. As well, with both of you. Gosh, <gasps> stick it up your nose. Yeah, there'd be there'd be um, bitch slaps We're all flying in the today. same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we can't all agree, and it's funny actually, isn't it? Because we're just about to go on to talk about a film that we all love, but it just goes to show there are, um, you know, uh, moments and bits and films actually in the series that. Um, you know, perhaps a beyond redemption. So uh, it'd be interesting to hear what you think. But um, have you got anything else you wanted to say about that, Eric? Uh, no. No, okay. Well, uh, Nathan, you have a little bit of a cat coming up, and we've also got a clip coming up shortly after this. What's going on? Um, some Oscar-worthy oh. performance there. So why did you pick that as your number two, Nathan? Well, that's uh, from part three, and that's the infamous character of Chili. Um, and I, I just, you know, there's so much wrong with that scene. You know, like, for one, even though I love her, you know, her acting leaves a lot to be desired in that scene. Mm. And I love the fact that she just found one of her friends dead for real, and she's trying to make her... Um, you know, get away uh, with all the urgency of a turtle, you know, trying to escape something. I mean, like, she doesn't even, she walks up the stairs after finding a dead body. She doesn't run. And they're playing that music. It sounds like a chase scene, you know, like music. But instead, it's like her walking. Like, she has no urgency at all uh, to get away, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's probably from all the pot weighing her down. It could, it could be. be. On the um, on the Friday the Thirteenth, one of the early incarnations on DVD, uh, there's a commentary on Part Three with Larry Zerner, Paul Kratka, Dana Kimmel, Richard Brooker, and Peter Brackey. And they say, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but they say in that scene, oh, uh, I think it's Rachel is the actress's name. Oh, Rachel just wasn't feeling well that day, and they try and gloss over, you know, mm. her performance in that scene. <laughs> yeah, Dana Kimmel, she has a lot of room to act, to, to talk. <laughs> I know, and Paul Kratka. <laughs> yeah, definitely him. Yeah. Well, yes. Well, she's. Um, it's going to be there for all time at that performance. So there's no going back. But uh, yeah, that's a great number two, Nathan. So thank you very much. I, I, do, I have to say, I do love that scene, though. I do oh, too. Me too. I love it. It's just mm. <laughs> there's a lot wrong with it, but that's why I love it. It's so wrong. It's right. Exactly. 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 So excellent. Well, thank you, Nathan. And um, I'm going to play a little bit of. He's a 
Well, it doesn't give much away, but that is the um, the climax, if you can call it that, of Friday Thirteenth Part Seven. And I've just said I do really enjoy uh, that movie. Lots. I mean, it's not the best movie in the world, but I do um, still quite enjoy it. What I thought was pretty risible was the the ending where uh, Tina's daddy comes out of the lake to pull Jason down. Um, and considering he's been at the bottom of the lake for however 10 15 years he comes up he looks like someone's rubbed some coffee granules in his face <laughs> and it just it's just so stupid um mm. uh it makes no sense at all and it just kind of really smacked of kind of laziness on part of the script writers and I, i've got feeling actually there was there was i i, I think there were there was a different ending wasn't there for Friday yeah. 13, part mm. 7 um, was that with the fisherman, wasn't it? When he jumps, but there, there was an ending as well where the dad jumps out and he's actually is rotted and looks like yes. he has been at the lake. But I don't know why. But um, the producers forced the director to put in the coffee granules instead, <laughs> which is mm. which is bizarre, isn't it? Because because um, mm. the director was you know an FX uh, yeah. guru. But if you if you look it? on the deleted scenes on the DVD, it does have it does show you the ending where the father is more decayed and mm. looking more zombie like. Mm. Yeah, it's just maybe. Yeah, I was going to say maybe they just thought the um, the audience wouldn't realise that it was her father if it came up as a zombie. That's so, probably it, actually. Yeah. So they thought have him pop up as if he's just been down to Seven Eleven um, and got you know <laughs> fell in the puddle and then jumps mm. up at the end, but uh, fell in a puddle of, of coffee granules. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but any any thoughts on that, Nathan? You... Oh, actually, I was going to say the same thing you did. But my thoughts on it are I love uh, Part 7. I think it's probably one of the more underrated Friday the 13th films. It deserves more credit than it gets. Um, and that scene, uh, I agree, is really amusing. It's very funny. It makes no sense. But, you know, that's kind of why I love it again. Yeah. <laughs> See, I would go more. I would lean more towards uh, Lar Park Lincoln's uh, acting, as it were being the funnier part, but I agree with you as well, in a, in a manner of speaking. Well, she doesn't have much to work with at the end of that film, does she? <laughs> no. so... I actually love that film, though. I used to hate it, but yeah. watching it on a big screen, it was just great. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's my uh, number two. So we're moving away now from the cat, but we're getting to possibly the top of the crud. Um, let's see. This is Joseph's number one worst Friday the 13th moment. All I can remember next is being startled out of sleep by the sound of footsteps. I was sure it was Dad, so I just sat up and I listened for him. But the footsteps stopped. Then there was this cracking noise behind me. I turned around. And standing there was this hideous-looking man. He was so grotesque, he was almost inhuman. He had a knife. And he attacked me with it. I was so hysterical, I don't know how I was even able to think, but I kicked the knife out of his hands and I ran. But he ran after me and he caught me and he pulled me down to the ground. I was kicking and screaming and yelling, but it didn't do any good. He dragged me along the ground. I blacked out. I don't know what happened after that. I just don't know. Well, 
yes, very emotional. <laughs> you go, go on then, Joseph. Well, that, Let rip. I'm sorry. Um, that was from Friday the 13th, part three. And that scene is cringeworthy for two reasons. Uh, one is obviously, okay, I've met Dana Kamel, and she's a very lovely person despite some of the rumors. But let's just say her performance there leaves a little bit to be desired. She wasn't but, feeling well that day. No, she was not. She was not feeling well. But that scene also kind of makes me cringe because it gives off the implication that Jason was trying to rape her, possibly, because he's dragging her on the ground and he was on top mm. of her. And that's not really Jason. I mean, Jason is, is a murderer. I mean, he's not a rapist. Mm. And I always thought that scene kind of gave off that. Did he, you know, try to have sex with her? And I don't know, it just kind of bothered me. No, fair enough, because it's kind of also, it kind of, um, what is strange about it is the fact is that she got away from him, because Jason doesn't, people don't get away from Jason, do they, really? Not No, not really. Average. Especially if they've been dragged to the ground by um, by him, then, uh, um, but yes, I, she, that, you know, bless her, bless her heart, but she's, um, she was never the best actress, and uh <laughs> having a monologue like that, it was probably not a good idea for for old Dana. But um, but yeah. yeah. Uh, um, what about you guys, um, Eric and Nathan? What did you think of uh, Dana's performance? Well, it's weak. Let's be be honest. But I think it's one of the many charms of Part Three. So I w- I wouldn't call it cringeworthy. I just call it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think there is a kind of duality here, or if that's the right word, for you know a lot of the stuff we're talking about here. Maybe obviously not the snake, but obviously a lot of the other bits. Um, um, they may be um, not fantastic, but they are usually quite entertaining on on a different level. And obviously, this um, and like with Chili's, uh, you know, death scene that you know Nathan picked, they are kind of you know very entertaining. Um, what about you, Nathan? What did you think of Dana? I agree with Eric. Eric, oh, <laughs> how French? <laughs> okay, it's right. like a fancy version of Eric's name. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, well, it's very continental. Um, it's like the French version of Jason was Jackie or Jason. It was Jackie in part one and Jason in part two. Yeah. Jason. Excellent. Well, thank you, Joseph. Um, uh, what we've got next is Eric's numero uno. No, that would be what would be the French for that? Uh, something. Uh, I don't know what number it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, anyway, you can see that yeah, we're obviously yeah. very cultured on this show. So here's your number one. Oh, you want your machete back? Shit, it's yours. Take it. Just remember who saved it for you. Guys, it's okay. He just wanted his machete back. Okay. Yeah, okay, well, <laughs> Joseph stole my thunder, really, on this one, but, um, I, I mean, I don't hate Jason X as much as he does, but I do agree completely, 100%, that the moments of humour are so horrible, and, like, there, were, there, there are many moments, like, the one you picked, um, Joseph, there's also the one where the woman is being sucked out of the airlock or something, and she says, oh, this sucks on so many levels, and that <laughs> one where, oh, he just wants his machete back. It's like, oh, this isn't a police academy film. <laughs> um, it's just the, the, 
as you were saying, Justin, if they'd kept it on a on a, a playful tone, but not veer that much into sort of slapstick and you know lowbrow comedy, it could have been a half decent film. Um, I mean, I still think it's better than Jason Goes to Hell, uh, but I do agree it's it's oh, yeah, it's and it's actually better than the the remake. But that's damning with faint praise. Um, I I just think the humor absolutely destroys any chance that film ever had of being um, entertaining, in my opinion. Okay, interesting, mm. interesting. But you, I mean, Nathan, you're like you said before, you kind of um, uh, you're a bit fonder of the film, aren't you? Yes, I, I really enjoy it. Mm, okay, I think there are moments, and I do like the the. I mean, I know Joseph doesn't, but I like the holograph scene where they go on the holographic trip back to 1980. Mm. I think that's to quite, be that's, fair, that's quite fun. <laughs> to be fair, there's one moment in Jason X I like. It's when he freezes the girl's head and he bashes it on the that, thing. That is really good, and I like the opening. That's a as great well. scene, but that's mm. it. The rest of the movie can go fuck itself. Well, I quite like the opening with David Cronenberg in that. I think it, it, it shows a lot of promise. But then the film just veers too much into this stupid comedy that ugh, it's just horrible. Mm. See, that's one of the reasons why I thought, um, not to get off on a big tangent here, but that's one of the reasons why I didn't really care for the My Bloody Valentine remake. Because Todd Farmer, his humor just really irritates me. I didn't find it as um as you know it didn't stick out as much for me who were <laughs> in in the My Bloody Valentine <laughs> remake. But it wasn't as bad as Jason yeah. X, but um it was kind of there, and I, I think that soured me on that as well. Weren't they supposed? Oh, to... I liked it. <laughs> of course you did. You like everything. We're talking of Todd Farmer sticking out. weren't they supposed to? weren't, weren't they talking about having his um a three D shot of his penis? I seem to remember from. In but, My Bloody yeah. Valentine, yeah, we get his bum in 3D. He gets his bum, but I think they were talking because they obviously had the the um, the woman, didn't they, running around uh, buck naked? Well, and she think, had uh, stilettos on. She did, yeah, fair enough. To be mm-hmm. fair, but um, I think they were talking. I don't know if he was just joking, but they were sort of saying about potentially um, having little Todd poking out of the screen. But mm-hmm. That didn't happen. So, um, but uh, yeah, well, thank you for that, Eric. Um, Nathan, we don't have a clip for you. You're welcome, um, Justin. <laughs> Justin. Justin. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yes, yes. I prefer to go by um, Nathan from now Nathane. on, please. Okay. okay. Um, and what was, actually? Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I don't have a, a clip because mm. it's really the whole movie and it's Jason Goes to Hell. It's okay. one big cringeworthy moment because it's my least favorite Friday the 13th film out of all of them. Mm. And it's just because whose bright idea was it to kill Jason in the first, you know, five, ten minutes? And then the whole rest of the movie, it's like possession, like people being possessed by him and killing. That's just stupid. That's not a Friday the 13th movie. And that was a stupid idea. And whoever had that idea should have made their own movie. You know, they the did. It's called The Hidden. Well, they should they should not have dragged Jason into it. Um, they they ruined the Friday the Thirteenth series by doing all that. It's just you know it's it's really stupid. And I don't uh, taking it out of Friday the Thirteenth. I actually think it's an okay movie, not really great, but okay. But in the Friday the Thirteenth series, it, it doesn't fit, and it's really bad. And I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I think we'd probably. I mean, I would definitely agree with that because. Um... It, it, it was strange, wasn't it, uh, uh, kind of to reboot the movie, uh, you know, four years after the the last film to do that. It was, it was a very strange move, wasn't it? Um, yeah. line my problem misfired. with the film is, I agree with Nathan, but my problem with the film is that it's called Jason Goes to Hell. 
it should be Jason in hell. It shouldn't be a possession movie and then Jason getting dragged to hell at the last mm-hmm. five seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jason I mean, you know, in hell would be a great idea, I think. But you know what happens when people, when we say we don't like Jason Goes to Hell or we don't like Jason X, people are all like, oh, you don't, you just want the same thing over and over again. Blah, 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 blah. Now, I yeah, don't that mind. Same thing works for me. If it works a, for me, well, it works it for me as well. But I mean, I don't mind if they go off on tangents if they work. But no, no, anytime they've gone off, veered off, like Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, it's just been a disaster. Yeah, mm. it just doesn't work for me. Mm. Mm, okay. Well, that's interesting. It's Nathan. Have you got anything else you wanted to say about um, the misfire? That is Jason I just want to say if you know anybody accuses me of just wanting the same thing over and over, then that that's okay because I agree with it. Uh, parts one through seven was uh, Jason in the woods killing horny teenagers. That's all I want. So all the movies should just be that, and mm-hmm. I don't want anything different. If you want something different, then watch you know the hidden, like Joseph said. I would agree. And it's a Jason, good movie. Jason Belong or Pretty Woman in the woods or Dirty Dancing. Yeah, walking down the street. <laughs> no, I would agree with Nathan. Though I mean, one of the things I love, the reason I love the first four Fridays more than the others, is just that they are all sort of very similar. Hmm. Mm, well, Jason think... belongs in the forest. Mm-hmm. He does. He fits yes. there. Okay. Right. Well, yes. Lots to talk about there. And this is this is my number one. This is the last of the worst Friday Thirteenth moments, or in this case, characters. Talking, you keep quiet. Morning, Ethel. Hi, don't you look lovely today? Poor shit. Now, Sheriff, you better hear me and hear me good. I want this loony bin closed down. Do you hear me, fella? Now, these kids ain't nothing but trouble. They don't respect others' property, and they're all crazy. You tama! <laughs> Ethel, these kids weren't doing. Doing? Doing? You think I don't know what those two perverts were doing in my yard? Say it like you mean it, Ma. Would you shut the fuck up? Right, I know. You're going to face opposition quit, on this one. I quit. I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> well, don't hit your ass on the way out, love. Um, Ooh. <laughs> no, the reason I, I am conflicted with Friday 13th Part 5, actually, to take that, um, that um, audio clip, I went to get my copy of the film and it was still shrink-wrapped, and I think that says quite a lot about my relationship with the film. Obviously, I've seen it quite a few times um, over the years, and there's certainly lots in it that I do enjoy, but I do think um, that the characters of, you know, Ethel and Junior are were the moment where the Friday 13th series jumped the shark, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's You know, it's, if you just measure it back against all the other films, even, you know, with the limitations of Chile and Donna Kimmel and... Um, and certainly compared to Friday the 13th Part 2, uh, Part 5 is a very different film. And there's great bits in it, but, I, you know, for some reason, I just can't, uh, you know, apart, apart from the fact, obviously, Jason's not actually in it for, for a start, but that doesn't bother me so much. I didn't mind the fact that they try something different, and I think it kind of, that kind of works, that whole kind of mystery aspect to the Part 5. But um, I thought Ethel and Junior's characters were... I can understand why people would like them, but... To me, it was a moment where the series jumped the shark. It's just too broad. It's too, uh, you know, uh, too much like parody. Um, and it kind of took me out. It just basically, it was a moment where the, the series switched into something different. Um, I think it switched back with part six and part seven to some degree. But uh, yeah, it kind of, um, it hinted to me that the, the makers didn't really, not necessarily respect the material, but they... Um, they they'd given up even trying to take it seriously, and um, that kind of bothered me. So, 
So yeah, that's they are. They would go into my my dustbin. Of Friday Thirteenth is um, Ethel and Junior. Oh, I can see where you're coming from, but the reason why I love Friday the Thirteenth Part Five so much is it just feels like it's a big, like Coke binge movie where the people behind it were like, you know, just high off their gourd. And so then they're like, okay, we're so high. Let's go make a Friday the 13th film. And then we got that. And it's just so deliriously entertaining. And I don't know. I like their characters. They're so over the top and just stupid. And in the moment they actually get killed, it's just so cathartic almost. Hmm. No, the friend, I can understand, you know, where you're coming with, coming from with that. It's just, and I, I do owe, owe it to myself and to the film to rewatch it again. Um, well, you better, because it's going to be picked well, by me. Uh, yes, but not for a little while yet. But uh, <laughs> how, how about you, Nathan? What are your thoughts on those characters? Oh, I love those characters. I love all the characters because Friday the 13th Part 5 is my second favorite Friday the 13th movie. Mine too. Well, it's my favorite sort of. It's tied with Part 2. Yeah, my favorite's Part 2, and then Part 5 is my second favorite because it's so awesome, I guess. You know, that, I guess I can't, I can't say anything else. Okay, what about you, Eric? Uh, well, it wouldn't be my second favourite by a long shot, but I do really like it. It would be my fifth favourite after the first four, um, I suppose. Um, I do agree that there's a complete change in the tone of the films from part five onwards. Um, and I, I hated part five when I saw it first, but it did really grow on me, and I love it now. I think, it, as as Joseph says, is a bit of a, I suppose you could call it a train wreck of a movie. It just seems so thrown together in five minutes there's just something very um engaging about it i can't it's so likable i can't pinpoint why but it's it's a movie that's so bad it's good kind of Mm -hmm. definitely that's 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 and i know i mean joseph we were discussing before you know months ago about movies you've done a complete 180 degree on and uh part five is one i used to hate but now i really like and part six was one i used to really love but now uh, probably because I watched it too much when I was younger, I, I find a bit uh, it's a bit tedious. But I do love Part mm. Five. Sorry, and I do love Ethel and and, and Junior. Well, I'm, I'm quite happy to be the uh, the lone voice of um, sanity. Mm. But um, but I'm also I'm kind of I'm happy to go back and watch the film again. And I you know I'm more than happy for my opinion for, uh, on it to change. Which you know who knows it could happen. When you see when you see um, Tiffany Helm doing her break dancing, that'll when you over surely if nothing else and if it doesn't then you're not human yeah <laughs> and you have an axe and yeah I'm, and i'm gonna grind it um <laughs> so well there there you go and um that is our top three worst friday 13th moments characters or scenes or whatever from the the series but we are going to go on to what many people regard as possibly the best of the friday 13th films um and we're going to come back in after the trailer for Friday the 13th, part two. Should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. 
two. The body count continues. Fourteen. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to camp, here's even more heart-pounding terror. Five years after the horrible bloodbath at Camp Crystal Lake, all that remains is the legend of Jason Voorhees and his demented mother. At a nearby summer camp, the new counselors are unconcerned about the warnings to stay away from the infamous site. Carefree, the young people roam the area, not sensing the ominous lurking presence. One by one, they are attacked and brutally slaughtered. Uh, many people consider Friday the 13th Part 2 to be on par with the original Friday the 13th, if not better. Um, I'm of the opinion that it improves upon the suspense factor, but it's not as deliciously gory as its predecessor. Uh, perhaps an uncut copy, should it ever surface, will trump Tom Savini's uh, effects previous. But until then, Friday the 13th uh, Part 2 relies more on its sense of campfire folklore to tell a more compelling, in my opinion, story about a grown man-child wearing a pillowcase over his deformed noggin, systematically bumping off nubile camp ne'er-do-wells one by one. Uh, whereas the first film is a bit of a cheat in who's doing the killings and why, uh, this one abandons the clunky whodunit narrative and makes it fairly clear early on that Jason has indeed returned from that murky lake and is wreaking havoc upon the campgrounds. Uh, it's, a, it's altogether a scarier film, I think, than the first, and... Uh, I think the rain-soaked atmosphere is heightened, and, you, and you're never quite sure when Jason will strike. Uh, prior to getting his infamous goalie mask, Jason's uh, cloth-like visage here is infinitely more terrifying than what, we, what would follow. And I like that he's not yet a hulking pseudo-zombie, but a crazed backwoodsman uh, following the voice of his mother in his head. On top of that, I think Amy Still's Jenny character makes for a far more rousing final girl, and the bit where she tries to use psychological trickery on Jason is truly a classic moment from the series. Um, while Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning, is my favorite of the series on an entertainment level, this entry trumps the rest as far as pure thrills and atmosphere is concerned. Um, I obviously have a lot more to say about it, but for now... I'll turn it over to Eric. 
Okay, well, surprisingly, part two was a film I was disappointed with when I saw it first. And we're talking here about uh, 1987 or 1988. At that stage, I'd seen part six, part four and part one in that order. So when it came to part two, I thought it was missing the the visceral impact, as you say, of the effects, because certainly parts one and four are quite gory. Part six, um, whilst not as gory, had very um, uh, inventive deaths, I suppose. And then part two, when I saw part two, I felt sort of let down that, that sort of the punchline from all the stalking sequences was sort of removed. But um, I've completely gone the opposite direction now. I, I absolutely adore part two. And I think it's no coincidence that while many consider it the best in the series, it's also the sort of the the leanest. I mean, it's a brisk 80 minutes. I think that makes it the shortest of the Friday series. I, I could be mistaken, but I think it is. And what I think has happened here is that Steve Miner has distilled the slasher down into its purest form. Um, like once you have the recap at the start with with Alice's nightmare over with and the opening um, credits have rolled, you you have only 70 minutes of a movie left. And I think that works in the film's favour. And the first one, there was this long sequence of Alice making a cup of tea, which which really dragged, I thought. And then, you know, the scenes where they're just sitting around playing strip monopoly, that's all been... Um, uh, eliminated and he's he's sort of smoothed out the rough edges from part one and it's a much slicker movie and as you say it's more um probably atmospheric it's got more subtlety to it i mean those scenes where we see jason's shadow um we just see him as a shadowy presence for a lot of the film are just close-ups of his feet which i know in certain reviews i've read they complain about that but i think that adds to sort of the mystery factor of the film um, I also love the setting. I think it's incredibly picturesque during the daytime sequences. Uh, and it really feels summery, even though I know it was filmed in sort of late autumn. Uh, it really feels, it has that real summer camp feel. And it's interesting that we um, we think that the Friday the 13th film is synonymous with uh, summer camp, you know, slasher mayhem. When actual, in actual fact, only parts one, two and six are set at a summer camp. The rest, you know, the rest of them are set in, in houses that are sort of near Camp Crystal Lake. And I think it's also blessed with a really good cast on this occasion, uh, particularly Amy Steele. I mean, there's, you know, we don't need to say any more about her. She's absolutely fantastic as the final girl. Uh, onto the effects. I think even in the brief glimpses we get of the special effects in part two, I still think Carl Fullerton's work on it is far superior to Tom Savini's which may sound controversial, but I think if we saw an uncut version of part two, I think it would, uh, um, you know, people would be saying, oh, Eric, you were so right, which is, you know, something I get, I hear a lot, actually. Um, on the downside, the one scene that I don't like is the scene where Ginny wets herself under the bed. Um, I thought that was kind of unnecessary. I know they're not playing it for laughs, but it just comes across as being quite stupid. But um, it is a film... I really, really love. And it's astonishing how good it is, considering how rushed it must have been, because uh, the original Friday the 13th came out in June of 1980, and this was in production in the September. So the script must and the casting and everything must have been prepared in like record fast time. So, uh, you know, kudos to everyone involved. They made such a good film. Okay, well, I'm going to disagree with you on that one point where she uh, urinates under the bed because I think it adds a touch of humanity to her character. I mean, she's already pretty human, but, you know, the fact that she's that scared and she ends up relieving herself because of it. Yeah, I know, but would her her genes not absorb the urine? I mean, it seems to be flooding out. Maybe they were like Jordache and not like Levi's, so the material wasn't as good. Okay, maybe you're right then, yeah. (laughs) 
But uh, yeah, we'll get onto that whole pee scene later because there's a big debate about that that's reigned forever. But for now, oh. how about <laughs> yeah? Okay, how about you, Nathan? What do you think of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two? Uh, well, it's my favorite in the entire series. I think it's uh, awesome. I mean, you guys know I love Amy Steele for obvious reasons. I've already blathered on about that many, many times, so I'm not going to go into it again, except that she's amazing. Um, I've always loved her character in this movie, and I've always loved the movie. You know, I love um, – it's got my favorite death scene, too. You know, when Mark, uh, the guy in the wheelchair, gets hit in the face with the machete and his wheelchair, you know, goes backwards uh, down that, those steps. I thought that was a really awesome uh, scene, you know, kind of creepy. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um you know, and, uh, you know, I think uh, Jenny and Jason's uh, scene at the end where they're both, um, you know, like have that big chase scene. Uh, I thought that was uh, really, you know, interesting. Uh, and, you know, I guess, I don't know, I'm kind of torn on the whole P scene. I get where both Eric and Joseph are coming from with that. Um, uh, I love the window scare. You know, I think that was um, really well done. You know, I watched it. I was with uh, Greg one night, and I think this is before you started coming over, Joseph. Um, and we watched it with his sister-in-law and one of her friends and his brother. And when Jason jumped through the window, they screamed so loud it scared me. I think I was there that night. I just know I they screamed, and I it scared me. They screamed so loud. So <laughs> I thought it's really fun to watch movies with people like that that get that into it and scream and stuff. I think that's a lot of fun. Um, let's see. Um, and uh, I have two more points to bring up. The first one is um, Lauren Marie Taylor's character. You know, what is up with the, you know, the underwear that she wants to change into? Are those supposed to be sexy? Because I thought they were <laughs> They're pretty brown, bad. Aren't they? Yes. In that's not a color you want your underwear to be. Unless she, you know, <laughs> My, something my flatmate was watching this film with me when i was watching it the other night and she had a very um crude reason why i don't know if you want to hear it i think i already have an idea of what you were going to say it's um well her uh, her response was well maybe like she's putting them on so that if she saws herself it'll be less no- noticeable i knew it she's yeah. trying to hide something that's what it is yeah Gross. yes i would and, agree <laughs> and i think um you know, one major point for this film uh, is the scenes that, you know, we are left to interpret. You know, like at the beginning, you know, when I believe Jason and Alice are having a simultaneous dream sequence uh, in which he kills Alice, which obviously is not real. Um, they were both having like a, I think they have like a psychic link with each other ever since he pulled her into the water. So they kind of have this psychic thing that when, you know, he killed her, you know, he actually was killing uh, someone that looked like her. So, I mean, he didn't really kill Alice. He was just, in his mind, that's his ultimate wish. So they kind of have a psychic thing going on. That's why she's so tormented and constantly having nightmares, because, yet again, that was just another nightmare that she had. And I think that was very important to the series. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I'd agree with you there, but Hmm. interesting theory. That well, is those, the theory. Those unflattering dungarees she wears surely have to be the product of a nightmare. Exactly. Everything <laughs> yeah. about that is nightmarish. So, yeah. you know, there, there's no way that scene was real. But how do you explain, we've spoken about this before, I think, but how do you explain, Nathan, um, uh, Alice's body at the Mrs. Voorhees uh, altar at the end of part two? It wasn't Alice's body. You know, like, he killed, like, a lookalike because, you know... 
there's no way he's going to really find Alice. I mean, for all we can tell by Jason, he's never been out of Camp Crystal Lake, and I assume Alice isn't living next door to it. So I'm thinking that, you know, he killed someone nearby that happened to look like Alice and put her body near the altar. And, like, that's why they, he and Alice had that psychic dream sequence, you know, that's kind of combined with each other, you know, because he thinks he really killed her, but he didn't. But the body by the altar's got the uh, screwdriver through the head, isn't it? Well, they pick well up yeah, he's killed many people using that method, probably. Mm. Yeah, but, so that's but reason... just another way he's killed a random woman thinking she was Alice. Mm. But in the novel, novelization of the of the film, it explains how he found Alice because she went back to Camp Crystal Lake to um, and visited the, the, the areas to try and get closure, and Jason followed her back. That's what the novel says. Um, That's just then... a novelization, not to be taken seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Nathan's going to step down on this. No, but also that she says when, when her mom phones, she says, um, this is the only way I know how to deal with this, which I think kind of leads back to her going back to Crystal Lake to, um, to try and get over uh, what's happened. So no, I think it means that she left a, a mental institution and she's back home now. Mm. Okay. Well, I think we'll agree to disagree on that because personally, I feel that Alice is dead and he killed her, and she, her body—he's taken her body back to um, the his, you know, mom's altar. But because... I met her. I met her in person. Yeah, that's the actress. <laughs> so did I. So now I'm. Yeah, so I mean, we even to talked to her. She's Not... alive. She ain't alive. She ain't. But we alive. talked to her. Okay, well, I think we'll disagree. But what do you think? If you're listening to this, why don't you let us know? Do you think Alice is is still alive? I mean, I like I know that Adrian King um, is of, is of the mind that um, Alice is still alive, but I I don't think she is. But you know, I think is Alice can... alive, or is Nathan doomed to lead a life of total crackpotdom? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I can't step down from this theory, and I never will. I'm, I mean, I just, I have to believe that she's alive. It's very important to me. Why can't you give me this? Fine. <laughs> Take it. At least you have else to say about the movie? <laughs> uh, just that it's it's awesome. No matter what we think about Alice and that situation, it's an awesome movie regardless. Mm. All right. What about you, Justine? Well, yes, I do. That's... I do. <sighs> I do love this film. I mean, it's a toss-up between this and the first film, and they mm-hmm. kind of oscillate between which ones I prefer more. Um, I yeah, I love it, and I love the trailer. I think is probably is probably the best slash movie trailer there is. Um, With Don LaFontaine, I love yeah, him. I just gonna it just sums up everything that's fantastic. I mean, part of the the reason it got so criticised when it came out. We're going to that, I'm sure, a little bit later. But one of the things that um, the critics hated was um, that um, the, the filmmakers had essentially chosen that kind of the body count to uh, saying it's continuing. And, and the fact is it's boiled it right down to that element, that kind of very basic element of uh, the horror movie. And the critics really hated that. But I think for the slasher movie, that kind of works perfectly. You know, I think it works really, really well. Um, I really like, you know, I, you know, you know, I love the film and I think it's, um, it essentially is a kind of remake of the first film in a lot of ways, um, but um, I think Steve Miner is is better at creating suspense. Um, what's What's curious actually about the Carl Fullerton um, um, sort of whole debate and about how much was cut out of the movie was because um, I think you know Eric was touching on about how quickly the film came together, but I think um, they tried to get Tom Savini to come back, and there's there's kind of uh, you know basically different versions of why he didn't come back. 
And then they tried to get Stan Winston, I believe, who actually, I think he helped create Mrs. Voorhees' head. I'm not sure if it's the one in the fridge or the one at the end. But the thing that I didn't really understand, um, I don't know what your thoughts on this are, and we'll come to the making of a little bit later, uh, Moran, but just while it occurs to me, is that, you know, famously part two had lots of cut out, but then actually when you watch the film, there's only, well, maybe two or three deaths, well, maybe three or four, that are actually particularly graphic, but quite a few of the deaths are, are kind of off screen, aren't they, or off camera, you know, the... Mm. Lauren Marie Taylor's death, you you know, it doesn't look like there's a gory version of that. It wasn't. Um, and um, oh, what's her name? The uh, I can't remember her name now. The um, Terry. Terry. Yeah, her death is off screen completely. Um, so are there somewhere or was there somewhere kind of really gory death scenes for these characters? Or were they always meant to be slightly off screen? And I know we had in the original film, you did have um, a couple of off screen deaths. But yeah, I just wondered, um, you know, how much gory those those scenes would have been. Um, you know, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? I've always wondered about the Terry murder because all she does is she faces the camera as if she's seen Jason and she screams and then it cuts to the bar. Hmm. I've always wondered if there was something missing there or if it was always meant to be off camera. Hmm. Well, it's kind of like Lisa Langoy, or however you pronounce her name. Her death scene in "Happy Birthday to Me" is, is, is completely missing, isn't it? Because in you know, it was filmed. She says with her being um, axed to death uh, in a quite gory fashion, and that's completely removed from the film, and no one's ever seen that. So it's not beyond the realm of reason that like there was a death scene shot for Terry. But I, I imagine that would have come out by now, wouldn't it? She would have talked about it um, at conventions mm. and stuff. So. But um, but as far as the, the rest of the film, I mean, I, I really like it. I mean, a couple of things that occurred to me um, was um, this is probably the only film, and I know Nathan thinks it's a dream sequence, and you know, but if it wasn't, this is probably the only film that Jason actually uses a phone, isn't it? Because he he phones Alice mm. at the beginning and um, with the with a silent phone call. Um, I mean, in some ways, the Friday Thirteenth Part Two is kind of the melting pot, isn't it, for the rest of the series? Because Jason's not really fully formed, is he? Because throughout the film, he's very clumsy, isn't he? It's almost like, um, you know, the the slasher movie Mr. Bean or something, or Frank Spencer. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> you know, falling off things when he's when he's on that stool, when he's um, above the bed, when Ginny's under the bed. He kind of the chair collapses, and he keeps on falling over and missing her, and all these kind of things. So. He's not exactly, he, he hasn't become that kind of cold, calculated killing machine that he does in, say, part three onwards. Um, but again, it's kind of, you've got, um, you know, I do love that whole, you know, the classic campfire thing, which you didn't have in the first film. But of course, it became like de rigueur, didn't it? In like Madman and um, The Burning to have that uh, campfire scene. And of course, Friday 13th part two was being made pretty much um, at the same time as The Burning. Um but uh, yeah, so I really like that. And of course, you have almost identical things. I think, is it almost identical in all the films, isn't it? Where somebody jumps out and gives everyone a scare at the end of the mm -hmm. story. Um, mm. and, um, so you have that. And I think you have, this, you have a similar thing, don't you, in um, Final Terror. And, you know, a lot of these films employ that. Um, and it works really, really well, really well here. Um, I thought of Eric when there was that sign, well, uh, when um, on Amy Still's uh, mirror, it was written, Beware of the Bears. Yeah, and um, I wonder which bears uh, he was. He, maybe he was saying um, your ilk, Eric. I'm not sure. 
Somebody Yeah, because Paul says at one stage bears are dangerous, and I mean, I know for a fact that that's not always true. No, no, exactly. But um, we don't see any bears. <laughs> don't see any bears in the film. Um, I love Amy Steele. I think she's great. I mean, she's quite a complex, well, complex character in some ways because she, they, there are no complex characters in the Friday Thirteenth movies, but she's almost. Um, I like her. She's very personable, but she's there's quite a hard edge to her, isn't there? She's a bit no mm-hmm. nonsense in some ways, and she's kind of, um, you know, there, there's that kind of dated kind of dialogue where she's talking about, you know. Jason, the poor retard, kind of, th- you know, thing going on, and obviously she's using her psychology major or you know what she's studying for, which of course at the end of the film, you know, as, as if you've seen it, she 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 fools Jason into thinking that she's Mrs. Voorhees, but again, she's um, I love the scene when she grabs the chainsaw, which is kind of a scene that was kind of recreated to lesser lesser degree, wasn't it, in part five with mm. is it Melanie <laughs> Kinnaman or um, uh, at the end of part five, but. Uh, I also I was watching it again today, and I don't know if it's I've only got the Blu-ray, but I'm not sure if it's the same on on. Um, sorry, I've only got the DVD. I'm not sure if it's the same on the Blu-ray. But the grain, it's a very grainy film, um, which is which I like, you know. It, but it has that kind of grittiness to it, I think, um, especially in the nighttime scenes where everything, you know, has that real kind of grain throughout it. And um, but yeah, it's a film that I I love and watch endlessly. Um, I'm probably in danger of watching it too much because I think. Um, it's almost like a you know a pair of old slippers. You know, I can pop it on and just go off and do other things, and you know, check my email and not necessarily pay that much attention to it because I know it by heart. But I was watching it today and doing some research for the film, and you know, I kept on coming back and watching it, and just um, yeah, it's a it's a great film, um, and very possibly is my favourite film in the series. Mm. Well, we were speaking about the scene where she uses psychological trickery to fool Jason into thinking that she's his mother. They did. They ripped that scene off in Humongous, which we covered not too mm. long ago. Mm. Mm. You do remember that, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, yes. I don't. You don't remember that in Humongous at the very I'm end where you, she's I'm, in that room? I'm really sorry to fans of Humongous. Like, I remember liking it well enough when i watched it but it's one of those movies i can never remember after i've seen it yeah it's I not I don't, it. it's, I don't think it's a very good film i mean it's it's well made but it's just kind of boring mm. but yeah they do she does the exact same thing where she goes into that room and she puts that sweater on and then uh the killer opens the door and she's like you know she's trying to use that psychological you know mind fuckery on him and it's just like friday the 13th part two mm. and that Okay, well, but Amy still did it first and the best. Yes, yes. Indeed. Are we going to mention the comparisons between it and Bay of Blood? Oh yeah, well, uh, I think there. I think I think it's only there's two moments in the film that that are you can put you know side by side with Bay of Blood. I don't think it's one's it, obviously the spear, the spear. Yeah, those to me, yeah. that's the main one. It's the spear mm, yeah. scene and the the machete across the face. There's a, there's a similar scene in Bay of Blood where somebody got. I think it's a meat cleaver. No, it's it's yeah. come, um, some. It's 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 I'm de- I'm de- it's debatable whether or not Steve Miner uh, was I don't know influenced by Bay of Blood. I mean, he probably was. I mean, does anyone else know if he if he'd seen it? I think they he they've always said that they hadn't seen seen it. But of course, I mean, Steve Miner was kind of um, remaking essentially Friday the Thirteenth, which of course borrows the lakeside setting from Bay of Blood. 
but um, you know, just having a having a late. I mean, the thing is, uh, Mary Barber's Bay of Blood. It's it's very much kind of sets the kind of in some ways a proto slasher um, prototype of you know having a lakeside um, uh, with lots of murders happening around it, and then imports the kind of the horny teenagers in their dune buggy, which turn up and they get killed off one by one. But that's only a small part of the film, isn't it? And it's so. It could be a happy accident, perhaps, that, uh, um, you know, the film had nothing to do with that, uh, the first film. But, um, but yes, I think it's a bit, little bit too much of a coincidence, um, you know, the spear through the back. But you don't, you don't know how these things happen, do you? Because, again, um, you know, the person who wrote the script may have seen it. Um, Steve Miner may not have done and thought, oh, that's a good idea. Or someone just mentioned it as a throwaway comment. But I think the film stands on on its own. And to be honest, I... As much as I love Mario Bava films, I would, I if I had a choice between watching Bear Blood and Friday Thirteenth Part Two for an evening, I'd probably plump for Friday Thirteenth Part Two most times. Oh, I def- definitely, I agree. Would, definitely. Yes, me too. Oh, yeah. I love Bay of Blood. Don't get me wrong; I think it's a fantastic film. But yeah, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two is just miles above it. I'd say it's got. Oh that, yes, yeah. I mean, I also like the. Um, what's interesting about the film is you've got well, not interesting necessarily, and I do wonder why they did this, but they introduced. Um, you know, several characters. Um, I noticed there was the the uh, token black character in there, wasn't there? But didn't have the, the the person didn't have any lines. Um, mm. But you had the Joker character, didn't you? Um, who who doesn't die? Which is yeah, he survives. Which is yeah, it's very odd. Yeah. But but in the novelization, does he not get killed? Or he features after the the bar scene in the novelization? I think okay. I don't know. I haven't read it, but I think doesn't he come back to the camp after his night out? I don't. I don't know. To be honest, I've never read the the, uh, mm. the novel version of it because. But I, when I was doing some research, I sort of heard about the um, the scenes where Alice goes back to the um, back to the lake to try and confront mm. her fears. But yes, I mean that may well be the case. And I. But that, that's always that's always it sort of stood out to me the fact that the, that Ted is built up as a major character and major mm. characters in Friday the Thirteenth either are victims or they turn up at the end to save the day or something like that. And he doesn't either. He just sort of disappears from the film. Quite abruptly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some controversy, wasn't there, with um, people disappearing from the film, which I'm sure we'll cover, you know, a little bit later. But um, I mean, is it a kind of good time to perhaps stop for the Russell Todd interview and then yes. we can come back and mm-hmm. talk about the film a bit more detail afterwards? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is uh, just to preface the interview. Uh, the reason I say I got your name right at the start of this interview is because when I was talking to him about uh, Chopping Mall, I accidentally called him Scott at the start. So in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. OK, well, here's uh, Eric's interview with Russell Todd. Hi, Terry. Do you want to dance? No, thank you. Hi there. How about you? Do you want to dance? Okay, once again, I am delighted to be joined by Russell Todd, and today we are going to be talking to him about Friday the 13th, Part 2. Good morning to you again, Russell. Hey there, Eric. I got How your are name you? right this time. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you were cast in Friday the 13th, Part 2, I know that it was very soon after the first one had been released. Were you aware of the phenomenon or the success of the first film? I was aware of the success of Friday the 13th. In fact, I saw it and I thought, wow, this, you know... I enjoyed it like everyone else. I was a big fan. So when I had the opportunity to read and, 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 and be cast in part two, I thought, oh, this is it. I'm on the way. <laughs> I've made it. And when, you and, read the, uh, when you read the script, did it say that you were going to be hung upside down from a tree exactly like the way that you are killed in He Knows You're Alone? 
Yes, I knew that the character would be. And I thought, oh, this is very funny. What a coincidence. Yeah. I can do this. I know how to do this. I can hang well. Yeah. <laughs> did did um, health and safety ever come into the uh, fray on Friday the 13th Part 2? Or indeed, he knows you're alone. Because I was looking up on the internet. And in fact, it can be quite dangerous hanging upside down for long periods because it can involve... Um, blood clots and you know your lungs filling with blood and stuff and stuff. Isn't, Horrible it, isn't it funny they never mentioned that to me before <laughs> shooting that scene? Of course. And how long? Can you remember how long you were hanging upside down for? It probably was under an hour, the, the very very most. Um, and there was someone. I was. They strung me up, and of course I had tubing going from. There's a guy in the tree above me, and they had tubing running through my leg, through my shirt, to the prosthetic over my neck, which had been pre-cut because mm. they wanted it to open easily when uh, when I when Jason took the knife across my throat, the machete, and, and I would lean my head back, and then um, they would pump the blood. But there was a guy in between, uh, you know, while they were rigging me up, there was a guy kind of holding me up from, from my back so I wasn't fully, inver- you know, hanging down. I was a little inverted. Um, so uh, I guess to stop the blood from rushing to my head. But I think the whole thing took about an hour, the very, very most. And we did it in one take. We had to because once the blood started flowing, you know, it was all over the, the clothing and my face and into my eyes. In fact, I think in the actual film they cut it They do. I mean, it, it's, it's famous for being quite a censored film in general. So your your death was quite bloody in in the initial cut of the film, I suppose, was it? Yes, it was. And, and then they had to stop at some point because once it got into my eyes, you know, they couldn't roll any longer. Um, but I guess the big thing about that scene is people always talk about the, the blade. You know, they use the, the dull side of the yes, blade. Yes, yeah. Cutting into my throat, I guess, perhaps for safety or maybe it was just by mistake. I don't was really it a real know. machete? Can you remember? It was a real machete, yeah. I think it did have a sharp side, but I think, Ooh. you know, for safety, they probably just used the well, dull side. They, and again, they, I was pre-cut anyway. Yeah. All I had to do was lean my head back, mm. and uh, they started pumping the blood. Mm. Funny thing about that, you know, they shot, uh, you know, most movies are shot out of sequence, but my last work day was my death. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember calling my parents, telling them it was my last day, and they said, well, what are you shooting? I said, my death scene. They said, Russell. I said, what? They said, why would they save your death for the end? I said, it's just the way the schedule worked out. They go, are you sure this isn't a snuff film? <laughs> I said, Mom, it's Paramount Pictures. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> well, you wonder. And did your parents go see the premiere then? When it was oh, they shown? did, yes. And and they, loved did they, it. they had a good time. Although they did say it was very difficult watching me die. Uh, I saw it was a wonder, yeah. Unscreen. Yeah. And did they, they did sorry. enjoy the film, though, yeah? They did, yes. They got a kick out of it. Yeah, they, were, play... they were my biggest fans. <laughs> well, you play quite a, uh, well, not sleazy as such, but, you know, you play kind of a character who's a bit lecherous, shall we say, especially towards yes. um, Kristen Baker, is it? Yes, it was. Yes. yes. Yeah. With your slingshot on your pebble. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get their attention somehow. Yeah, well, it's as good a way as any, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you do lose, you do learn a lesson in all of these movies, especially Friday Thirteenth. Yeah, part two, that's not, not that's not the way to a woman's heart. Is the lesson? Yeah, are <laughs> yeah. stealing her clothes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a price to be paid. Yeah. What was it like working with Steve Miner? Because this was his first uh, directorial outing. Steve was great. He mm. was full of energy. I remember that. He was, you know, he motivated all of us. Um, with that energy and was very friendly, um, as you said, it was first. And so he was, you know, probably a bit nervous himself and excited. But um, I think he did a terrific job. And, um, you know, we stayed friends for a little while after that. I've lost touch recently, but um, I'm sure he's doing good things. 
Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he's had great success since, yeah, because he did part three as well, and then went on to do uh, sort of more mainstream Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he have something by the lake, something the lake or something like that? Another picture set on a lake. Lake Placid was it? He did. Oh, that, that's what it was. Yeah, I believe. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, of uh, a good work. man, really good. Mm. And uh, well, he's, he, he's an excellent director, particularly in part two. I mean, one of the reasons it's our favorite is because it's it's. I mean, it copies the formula of part one, but it, it's directed with so, such, you know, so much more style. Yes, mm. I agree. I agree. It's interesting. A lot of people come up to me and, and say their favorite of the series is part two. And I think that's, that's fantastic. It, I think it's but the general consensus. So many. Yeah. Have you stayed in touch with any of the cast and crew from, from Friday the 13th part two? I still see Amy Steele and John Fury when I go to these signings, and and Wer- uh, Warrington Gillette and Stu Charno. They're the ones mm-hmm. I see the most uh, at the fan signings, and they're a great group. Uh, Amy and John live here, of course, in L.A., um, but I, I'm not sure if Stu does or not. I be- yeah, he must. I think he does. And um, Stu is it's always is, nice running into that. Yeah, Stu would be a, a great actually person to get on the podcast. He has a horror pedigree as well. He appeared in Christine, of course, and he was in X Files. Uh, a few other films. Yeah. And his character in Friday the 13th Part 2 is quite distinctive as well. Yes. Yeah. Stu's an interesting character. He's a good guy. Very interesting. Very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen Friday the 13th Part 2 recently at all? Yes. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity to see it on the big screen Mm. just a few weeks ago, and I hadn't seen it on the big screen since the premiere. Mm. They were screening it in Hollywood. They do a festival at midnight uh, they do various shows. In fact, they did Shopping Mall. I think you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Kelly was there, I think. I believe yeah, Tony. Kelly and Jim were there, yeah. And Jim, yeah. And uh, it was just terrific to see it that large again. It, it, I went with a couple of friends. In fact, I don't know if you know who Peter Brackey is. I Peter, do, yes. He wrote the book yeah, uh, Crystal Lake Memories. definitive book yeah. on all the Fridays. And I sat with Peter and uh, you know, had a lot of laughs watching it. Brought back a lot of great memories. Mm. Um, can I ask, as somebody who doesn't really know much about the film industry, do actors get kind of a, a royalty for sales of films that they appear in, if that DVD yes. is sold? Yes, yes uh, residuals continue. In fact, um, on Friday the 13th Part 2, it's funny, it's come down to being the same amount of money, I've, and I get it every year from Paramount, uh, mm-hmm. sent through the Screen Actors Guild. And um, it doesn't... I mean, on many projects, it kind of like whittles down and eventually you're into yeah. pennies. But this is kind of stayed, it is well, the exact same number every year. I'll explain year, why, because there's probably people like me all over the world. I have, in various incarnations, owned six copies of Friday the 13th Part 2, twice on VHS, three times on DVD, and then once on Blu-ray. And I need to thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, like to, I, I probably bought your house. <laughs> oh, no, trust me. It's, it's not that true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I mean, we're not talking a lot yes, from, imagine, from this yeah. film. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's more to be made on other projects. Uh, you know, if you, if you do a, a big budget film that brings in millions, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, your residuals are amazing, but otherwise they're really not. Mm. Um, but the longevity is nice. It's in perpetuity. Yeah. I mean, I'll see these for the rest of my life coming out. Off are you, are you surprised by the longevity of, well, the three horror films you were in, and particularly Friday the 13th Part 2? I was at first. Now I get it. I mean, it's just there's something about that series that just captures people, and I just think it's it's fantastic. Uh, at first, I couldn't understand it. I just, you know, I thought, well, it's just another horror film. But I get it when you look in you know, the totality of all of them. You know, those, you know, some are better than others. Mm. Um, but I get it, and uh, I'm just really proud and happy to be part of this franchise. And 
I loved it when I did it, and I love it today. Well, you're a very distinctive part of the franchise, because I think you... Uh, your death scene is recapped at the start of part four and possibly part seven. I know part four, yes. In fact, I was in a feud with Paramount for over a year yeah. to prove I was actually in that, even mm. though uh, my face is visible. <laughs> um, probably part not part seven, seven, I didn't realize. Then. No, probably not part seven, then. I'm just oh, going okay, off well, the top Part four, yeah, I believe they did use a, a number of deaths in the opening. Yeah. yeah. More or less all of them, I think. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Were you... Were you in any way jealous of anyone else's death scenes in Friday the 13th Part 2? Would you like to have swapped with anyone? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, no, I kind of liked mine. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was terrific. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, there's always someone getting stabbed in a bed in, in other films. Uh, and I guess I have to say someone you know, getting the throat slit hanging upside down because that happened to me in another <laughs> film. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I was very happy to have that scene. And, uh, but I thought the other ones were, were equally as gory and, and cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Russell, on behalf of the hysteria continues, can I thank you for hanging upside down from a tree in not one, but two movies 30 years ago <laughs> and, and being part of films that are very dear to our hearts? It's my pleasure indeed, Eric. I was thrilled to be in both of those films. And um, and thank you so much for having me on your show and for all the fans out there that continue to watch these pictures and enjoy them. I I truly appreciate it. I don't want to scare anyone. But I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old-timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature. Surviving in the wilderness. Full-grown by now. Stalking. Okay, that was uh, Russell Todd talking to me last summer. So uh, that was that's 12 months old, but uh, I think he's still alive and well. And thank you very much, Russell, for that. Yes, thank you, Russell. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're going to talk a little bit about the background for the movie. And... I know a lot of you have been waiting for, with bated breath because it's been all over the internet and all over the Friday 13th communities. <laughs> yeah. about it's the, been, it's um, been on Sky News as well, I think. It's been on Sky News. It's been everywhere yeah. that um, uh, Eric spotted something in Friday 13th Part 2 that no one else has spotted. Yes. And this is going to blow your mind, isn't it's it? It's totally going to blow your mind, but I've spotted a blooper in Friday the 13th Part 2 that I couldn't find referenced anywhere in any of the sites. It's not on IMDb, um, is it? It's not on sorry? any of the bloopers. It's not on IMDb on the blo- No, on the and it's not on there. An, I had a look at some of the Friday the 13th sites as well and they didn't mention it, but there's a scene, it's the scene where Jeff and Sandra and Ted have to stop the truck because there's a tree across the road. And while Jeff and Ted are moving it, Sandra goes into the woods slightly and finds the Camp Crystal Lake sign. And they have a little bit of a natter. So when she puts the sign down and walks back to the truck, there's a POV shot of Jason from between two trees. And you can see a sound man lying on the ground with a boom mic as Sandra walks past. And what he's doing there, I have no idea. Why he's in camera shot, I have no idea. Now, I know, Joseph, you think he's there getting some um, ADR audio for uh, footsteps. But surely that's something he could do. He doesn't need to be in camera shot for. Well, maybe they were in, maybe they were in kind of a hurry. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why he's there, but I'd never noticed that. And I saw it, and you can see him playing his day. And how yeah. could no one else pick up on that? I've never seen that. So that's the big reveal. Oh, everyone, yeah. everyone, feel free to throw rotten tomatoes at Joseph because he's the one who bigged up this this um, <laughs> moment. 
Well, I can Speaking, imagine uh, can, David can Grove and... Tan- Sorry? Sorry, I just going to go on a tangent. Did you see, I sent you a link to a blooper from the film Bad Boys starring Sean Penn and... Um, uh, <laughs> that was even worse. That was, was incredible, was wasn't terrible. it? I haven't watched that yet. I'll There's to, a sorry, scene where Sean Penn is having a fight with somebody and they're both rolling around the ground punching each other. And there's a guy with a ca- holding a camera just right beside them, oh, like really? holding a movie camera on his shoulder. How bizarre. In, pla- in plain view. It's just unbelievable. I mean, it's even, it's like you think that this Friday the 13th blooper is silly, but wait till you see that one. Just look up um, Worst Movie Goof Ever, I think is the title of it on YouTube, and okay. you'll find it. I shall no, I shall uh, check that out. But um, but I just don't understand that. I I'd never seen that, that before. Um, and you you think actually because it's not just once, is it? Because there's a, there's a brief scene as she walks towards towards the um, the sign, in between the, the trees, and you see it a little bit there. But when she walks back, it's you can actually see him there. Or I think you can see this huge oh, boom mic. Can't I you? T- I didn't notice the one. I have it on here in the background. I'll try and fast forward to it. Mm, mm. It's a kind um, of the, it's a very briefly as she goes shot between the, uh, the trees. He's there as well. So it's twice you see the boom, the person lying in the grasp of the boom mic. Um, mm. But yeah, it's very very strange. But yes, so you heard it here first on Hysteria Continues. So if you want to reward your, us with money or chocolates, exactly that'd be nice. Something to tell you. Just remember something to tell your grandchildren in the future. Yeah. Take people with people will be saying, cats. I know exactly where I was when I heard that little nugget of factual exactly. information. Yes. Mm. So um, in lieu of getting an interview with Amy Steele or um, anyone else on Friday 13th Part 2, we had that, so you can't bash us. Well, maybe you can. <laughs> Doesn't mean they won't. No, yeah. maybe not. But, um, but <laughs> yes, other background for the film. Um, Joseph, what have you got? Have you got something? You... Well, I have a couple of things. I mean, mm. this, you know, these documentaries, these websites, I mean, everyone knows everything about the Friday the 13th films. But here's one thing I'm pretty sure is common knowledge, but I didn't know it until this morning. Um, our good friend Cameron Perry pointed out that the Friday the 13th series, now again, this is probably common knowledge, so sue me if you've heard it before. The Friday the 13th series was event- was going to be like a uh, anthology series. You know, each film was going to be called Friday the 13th and set on Friday the 13th, but it's going to have a different story. But that didn't pan out, and they just kind of made everyone wanted to see, you know, the continuation. They wanted to know what was up with Jason. So, you know, they made a continuation with uh, Jason in the Woods from, you know, two on. And I think the anthology idea eventually became the series, which was, uh, you know, the shopkeepers, you know, hunting down mysterious artifacts and stuff. But, you know, if you've heard that before, I'm sorry, but I'd never heard about it until this morning. Hmm. So thank you, Cameron, for that. And another thing that not many people know, and I'm sure this is not common knowledge, but my website, The Body Count Continues, is named after Friday the 13th Part 2. No. Can you believe it? I can't. I know. But that's all I have. It's revelations. It's revelation. Fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you, I, Joseph. How, how about you, Nathan? Have you got anything for us this time? No. No. <laughs> I mean, nothing that you know that yeah. nobody else has heard like many, many times before. Unfortunately, I just I know all the common knowledge that us common fans know. Mm, okay. Well, well, just to um, I mean, I'll come to you in a second, Eric. But of course, we're just talking off air. The saying that um, uh, you know this is one of the things about covering films like Friday Thirteenth Part Two 
is that so much work's already been done and dug into it. And of course, we've got like the, you know, two fantastic books about the Friday 13th movies, you know, by David Grove and Peter M. Brack. So it's, uh, you know, if you've got any interest in them, which I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have, then, um, you know, hopefully we've reignited your interest in the, you know, Friday 13th part two and um you know go and check those out and of course and also actually the um the uh, dvds um relatively recently released dvds of all of them have got pretty good um uh, information on them and also his name was jason as well wasn't it the the documentary so um but on that on you know how about you eric have you got anything you wanted to regale us with well, nothing major, but um, I was reading in Crystal Lake Memories that Greg Nicotero, the famous effects artist, um, says that he went to Carl Fullerton's house one day, probably late 80s, early 90s, and was watching the uncut footage of the double impalement. So uh, that would indicate that Carl Fullerton still has the footage. And even if Paramount have lost it, they've no excuse not to, uh, mm. you know, eventually release a, you know, that as a deleted scene even. Hmm. Mm. Well, no, um, gonna... just they sold, didn't they sell the rights to all their films to New Line? And I know New Line went under, didn't they? But I mean, who owns those rights? Right well, now? I assume Paramount because their name is still on the the DVDs that come out when they're reissued. I think okay. they Paramount own the rights to the first seven films, or eight films, eight, um, first eight films, yeah, yeah, first eight films, and then New Line bought the um, the rights to use the the name after that. But then Michael Bay must have brought the rights to use it. Was it a co-production with Paramount? I can't remember who put out the the remake. I can't remember. Well, it was Platinum it? Dunes. Platinum oh, Dunes. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but mm. um, yeah. Well, uh, just a word on the original yeah. ending. Now I'm sure everyone knows that the original ending for Part Two was. Uh, the camera zooms in on Mrs. Vorey's head. And actually, the reason Mrs. Vorey's head looks different from when it did in the fridge at the start of the film is that it's an actress with her head through the table. And what mm. originally was meant to happen was that she was supposed to open her eyes and smile. But you can, you'll notice that when the camera gets to a certain point, the f- image freezes because you can see the flickering flames sort of freeze. I'm glad they didn't do that. I, but, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do it, but I'd love to see the footage. Yeah, I'd love to see to the see, footage. To see what it looked like. But isn't but also the other reason the head looks different, isn't it? That I think that Alice is murdered in real life, Nathan, um, on the anniversary <laughs> of Friday Thirteenth um, in nineteen eighty-one, and then the uh, the what happens? Uh, the rest of the film is taking place four years later, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think. Th- do they mention it six months later when Alice disappears? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's kind of like it's. They say it's when Paul talks about it. He said it, the um, you know the confrontation between Mrs. Voorhees and Alice happened, or the murders happened five years ago, didn't they? Mm, yeah. Which meant would mean in some ways. I mean, the thing is, you could you could kill yourself trying to work out the chronology of the Friday Thirteenth films because there's no massive kind of um, thought has gone into into this really. Um, but uh, in theory, uh, the the events in Friday Thirteenth Part Four. Um, sorry, part two should have been um, happening in 1984 or 1985. Yeah. In theory. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, just a couple of things I've got was um, just out of interest because I was reading about um, um, Marta, Marta, is it Marta? Yeah, Marta Cobra. Marta Cobra. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's Cobra. the actress who plays Sandra. And um, she's got quite an, well, quite a sort of a tragic but interesting. Um, life after the film in so much that and again i you know i mean this is all secondhand knowledge so i don't know if this is true in case marta's lawyers are listening to this or 
or if she can afford lawyers, I don't know. But it was apparently she was homeless for a while, wasn't she? And um, um, and then she started doing the convention circuit relatively recently. But from from all um, all that I've read is that she's um, pretty, you know, looks pretty rough, like somebody who's had a hard life. And is is um, there's a quite a sad interview with her on online um somewhere where basically someone's asking her questions and she's just she's you know just really out of it she's just not you know uh, you know she's just answering kind of almost nonsensically um so it's quite sad really to see that when you see actually a lot of the other people have been in people like amy Steele are you know very kind of still you know look, look, look really good and are, um you know obviously in a good place at the moment but uh it's uh it's quite sad that she doesn't appear to be you know be that have you heard about that guys yeah, she was, uh, yeah. you know, apparently this could be libel. So secondhand knowledge. Mm. Apparently she was on drugs for a while. Mm. Um, and it kind of, you know, messed with her a little bit, I suppose. Mm. But um, Nathan, I can't remember. Was she there at the Friday the 13th convention or did she had to no. cancel? Or no, she had to cancel. The yeah, thing about right. her, you know, and this is from, you know, years back. I remember that, you know, years ago there was like a where is Marta Cobra, you know, thing going on because – like nobody knew where she was at, you know, like even her friends and family that uh, didn't know what, what had happened to her. She just disappeared and she just recently kind of resurfaced. So, mm. you know, she was like gone for a long time and nobody knew what happened to her. Well, I think it's kind of, um, I mean, Hollywood's, um, you know, it must be a pretty um, difficult place for um, actors and actresses, especially who are no longer 21, you know, so, but I, yeah, I don't know what, um, what happened to her, but, uh, um, you know, that's quite sort of sad, but uh, um, as far as anything else um, extra, it's just things we haven't mentioned was um, the film was shot mostly in Connecticut, wasn't it? Which um, I think was the first film shot in New Jersey, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. New Jersey. Yeah. Mm. Um, how? I'm not my geography of America is not brilliant, but how close is Connecticut to New Jersey? Is it? It's not very. Um, I think. I think uh, it might be separated from a couple of states. I can't right, remember. Okay. I've been to New Jersey, but I've never been to Connecticut. Mm. But the difference is, with some of the later films, they shot them in California, didn't they? And they have a has a completely different look, doesn't it? Because the the mm. look in Friday Thirteenth Part Two looks very similar, doesn't it, to the look in Part One as far as kind of the you know locations go. Um, actually, Hartford, Connecticut. Actually, Connecticut is very close to New Jersey. It's a state up, so okay. I guess okay. it was kind of close. Mm. Well, that's the that was the thing, wasn't it? Obviously, the um, you know the kind of the, the kind of look of it, look of it, and I think they, um, from what I understand, is they didn't. There was no sets built, was there? They did use a real camp in part two and probably in part one as well. Um, the other thing we haven't talked about um, uh, at all yet is the obviously the controversy about who played Jason, um, because there was is that Warren Gallet was um, was hired, wasn't he, to be to be Jason, and he either walked or got fired for part of the movie because he couldn't or wouldn't do stunts and um as it steve dash or steve uh dakowitz um was the original name was brought in to do some of the film but i think they brought warren gillette back in to do the the final scene jumping through the window because they'd done uh, basically all of the clothes were um made for warren gillette um it's warren gillette isn't it Warrington, Warrington, Gillette. Warrington, Warrington yeah. Gillette. Sorry, um, all made for him. And I think Steve Dash sort of. I read the thing 
probably in Crystal Lake Memories, saying that um, he, you know, that he had to wear all all of his clothes, including the shoes, which were one size too small for him, which would have been made running through the forest very uncomfortable, I would imagine. But um, um, but uh, yeah, so there was all that controversy, and a lot of that's kind of obviously been cleared up, um, you know, sort of uh, sort of recently. Um, just a couple of other minor things um, um, uh, before we get on to some of the... I've got some some old reviews, actually, of the film, which uh, I'll just read out a few little bits too. But um, but uh, the film made um, something like $21 million, I think, when it was released, which is about half what the original made. Um, but in today's, today's money, that's about $55 million. So it wasn't like a massive blockbuster, but it was a kind of certainly a solid hit. Um, and I think the budget was only about a million or it was a million dollars. So it made back um, or made around 20 times its um, you know original budget. So for Paramount, it really showed that there was a lot of money left um, in in making these. Um, is there any anything else you want to say about it? I've got a few um, uh, sort of, you know, a few short reviews that people have written about it from old newspapers, if, you know, I could go through those. Well, we're, but we were talking about, you know, the, um, Steve Daskowitz or Steve Dash playing mm. uh, Jason and then Warren Tungillette playing Jason. There's just one scene, I'm sure this is also common knowledge, but uh, the... Um, Daskowitz wearing the burlap flower sack over his head, you know, for long hours at a time. They had the the part with the eye, where they had the eye cut out, kept flapping and hitting him in the eye. So they had to use like some kind of like t tape to keep it down, and he ended up getting some kind of really bad burn from the from the material around his eye because mm. it was it was kept on for so many hours. Um, that's what I'd read about that anyway. What I've what I yeah. got from Crystal Lake Memories was that the majority of the film is Steve Dash, but for legal reasons they had to credit Warrington Gillette. And yeah. there was a, some kind of legal loophole where he could only be credited as the Jason. So Yeah, yeah he's yeah. on on the on Wikipedia he's credited as Jason Voorhees unmasked, while Steve Daskowitz or Steve Dash uh is just credited as Jason Voorhees. Mm. Okay. Oh interesting. Interesting. So, um, is there any, anything else you want to um, uh, say about it before I, I've got? So, I've got a few. Well, I've got a good few yeah. things. I just want to ask: okay. um, Can Nathan and Joseph clear up? Um, there are a few references in the film that are strictly sort of American only. I mean, what's a Dairy Queen? Dairy Queen is a restaurant that serves hamburgers and ice cream, and you know, just kind of all American food. There's all one right, very close to me. Oh, is there? Yes, and uh, you know. We're actually we know a non Dairy Queen. Did you know that, <laughs> Joseph? <laughs> I know. What oh, you're I'm, doing, not gonna, I'm not going to name names, but I happen to know a non Dairy Queen. Um, yeah, me too. Can I just talk about the opening title sequence? Because I love the Friday the Thirteenth logo. That you know the traditional one they have in, at the start of Part One, Two, Three, and Five. I think uses you know that font. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and the way the the logo explodes and then reveals Part Two underneath. Very effective, because yeah. um, the the opening credit sequence I think is a lost art. I mean, a lot of films, you know, certainly blockbusters come out now with no opening credit sequence at all. Hmm. And uh, you know, I'm always one that's very fond of them. I love the like the Bond opening sequences are are all, always very creative. And uh, I used to love the way the Friday the Thirteenth used to open. I know that the main credits themselves are quite simple, black and white, but the the logo itself, like in Part Four, where the mask explodes and reveals the final chapter underneath, that type of stuff, I used to really like. It's quite funny, though, isn't it? Because the the way it does it is almost... I mean, in some ways, it doesn't really fit the film, does it? Because the film isn't 
a film about explosions and that kind of thing. It's kind of, it's almost a bit over the top, isn't it? But it, it works, doesn't it? Yeah. And it actually in Crystal Lake Memories, it tells you how they, they created the effect. Because of course you have to remember the, we're talking 1981. So these, like the, the logo had to be filmed practically. It's not a computer generated effect. Mm -hmm. So you're actually looking at, I think of a, a wax mold of the words Friday the 13th exploding. Well, and Eric, mm -hmm. Eric, you were talking about the um, the end, the unused ending where uh, she opens her eyes and smiles. Yeah. From what I'm reading, uh, apparently that was supposed to be like a, a subtle way of answering what happened to Paul, because uh, Jenny asked where Paul is, and but then it's mm -hmm. supposed to immediately cut to that scene and have her wink or open her eyes and smile. So you know she'd be saying, "Hey, my son did it," but you know mm -hmm. they they obviously left that out. So you know the. What happened to Paul is still kind of up in the air. Yeah, I'm sure Nathan is a theory. I'm sure he's still alive with uh, Alice somewhere. Yeah. Um, boat, love boat got to he got married to Alice. Yeah. No, yeah. Paul's not a final girl, so he can be dead. It's okay. Alice is a final girl. She's alive. Mm. Okay. What? Anything else, Eric? Um, did anyone notice that, uh, you know, all the little paintings and self-portraits that Alice has in her house at the start? Hmm. Did anyone notice that one of them looks um, very like Jem uh, from Jem and the Truly Outrageous Holograms? I didn't, but now i got to look again because I love Jem. <laughs> yeah. <him>. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'd be very surprised if Justin got that reference because I think you were probably a bit too old for Jem. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It looked like Ziggy Stardust to me. Yeah. Well, Ziggy and and um, Ziggy yeah. play guitar. <laughs> Sorry. Stardust memories. <laughs> Are we going to discuss I mean, I the pee scene? Yes, I was about to say that. I know it's. Yeah. I know it's a. It's an old debate, but uh, does anyone else get irritated when a lot of the fanboys say it was the rat peeing and not Jenny? Yes, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's a lot that's of pee for that rat. Mm. Why would the rat go under their pee? What what would that add to that scene? What purpose would that what have? What purpose is it? Yeah, I don't get mm -hmm. it. Because to me, the whole purpose of that scene is if Jenny was so scared that she peed, and that's how Jason knew she was there, because mm -hmm. he saw it, and that's how he knew. I mean, if the rat peed, if he saw a rat pee and then run off, and he's like, oh, okay, well, and, you know, there. I mean, why, I mean, why would... <laughs> what, what, what purpose is it? Well, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I've got a feeling that Steve Miner... Um, I might be wrong in this. Actually, said it was the rat, but I. But it's for one. It's it just seems a bit bizarre, doesn't it? That you. Why would you? Um, um, I mean, one. Why would uh, Ginny piss herself when she saw a rat? You know, she's being chased by a killer. Unless that was a final straw. But also, yeah, I think noticed, it was kind of a you know add insult to injury type of I thing. And she's been guess. drinking a lot of beer. That's yeah, true. that's true. True, true, true. true. I didn't think about that actually. Yeah. But also, if you if you watch it, which I obviously did today, when the rat comes in, when the when the urine comes out the ends of the bed, under the bed, then the rat is the rat runs away from her face. Um, so unless the rat ran down to the ends of the bed and pissed, or had a really full bladder, then it wouldn't have been uh, the rat. But mm. um, you know, there's no way a rat could have that much urine. I mean, it was a lot. Mm. Well, rats. Wow, actually, we're actually talking about rat urine. This is great. Yeah, well, rats are incontinent, <laughs> aren't they? They they piss as they go. They don't hold it all up. Yeah. So, um, so I think rats are incontinent, like mice. I think. Well, maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, but yes. Well, who you know, we can have a <laughs> we can have a mass debate about um, yeah. you know, rats piss. So keep keeping things in the toilet. Um, yes. I mean, I know that Jason's main purpose in life is to go around killing people, but would it hurt him to kill it to uh, clean his lavatory? <laughs> that was that was disgusting. Well, his maid had the day off. All oh, right, yeah. 
But his whole house looked pretty gross. I mean, yeah, he doesn't keep it up very well. No, he could have done with a bit of bleach, though. Yes, he probably. What if he ate? Probably raccoons and people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But at least what we haven't spoken about is muffin. You know, lovely muffin. Yeah. Oh yes. Coming in. I mean, that was a kind of you know. I mean, a great. It was basically they essentially they're redoing the uh, the the final shot for the first film, weren't they? But that kind of misdirection. With mm. the uh, the the dog, I don't know what type of dog that was, but the little bow in his hair. It's uh, hair. well, I would call it a Paris Hilton dog. Yes, so it looks like one that lives in, in a posh girl's handbag. Exactly, exactly. Mm. But um, but yeah, Muffin was um, you know, um, it's always it's nice to see Muffin survive. Or though, or did Muffin survive? Because we didn't see it at the end, did we? Muffin wasn't mm. being. They, they should have carried Muffin out on a little stretch stretch <laughs> that would have been a cool small stretch yeah. yeah the dog was barking where's paul I, w- I wonder i wonder if muffin was invited back for part three and the agent said no she's going on to bigger things well they yeah. got um they got dana to do it didn't they so they got a, another dog um, <laughs> 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 meow <laughs> i didn't really i only, I only did that it was a cheap shot i didn't mean it dana if you're listening yeah <laughs> she is listening <laughs> No, sorry, I, no, I should be apologising to Muffin, actually, shouldn't I? Um, um. <laughs> One thing sorry. I noticed about part two is that um, for poor Mark, I mean, the whole campgrounds and the whole setup isn't terribly wheelchair accessible. I know he seems, no, to, get ar- he, he seems to get around OK, but I mean, the scene where we first meet him and he's coming out of a cabin and Vicky says, oh, can I give you a hand? And he's like, no, no, I'm OK. And you see him sort of struggling through this gravelly, gritty path on his wheelchair. <laughs> And how does he yeah, maybe he's one of those, uh, the, you know, he, he, he doesn't believe in his mind he's handicapped. He wants to do everything himself. Yeah. There, there should have at least been a wheelchair ramp. Well, yeah. I thought it was sad, didn't he? He said, I, I will not spend the rest of my life in this wheelchair. And yeah, he, he did, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. His death is just so depressing. I mean, mm. at least, you know, he was almost about to, you know, get lucky with uh, what's her face. I mean, then he Vicky. gets killed. I mean, yeah, Vicky, mm. couldn't he at least, you know, got some before he died? Because mm. that's usually the formula. You have sex, you die. Mm. And the poor guy in the wheelchair couldn't even get, like, a hand job or anything. Mm. <laughs> and she, she was up for it, wasn't she? Yes, she oh, was. Totally. Yeah, she put on her yeah, she, brought, she broke out the brown panties and everything. Yeah. <laughs> also, did you notice, I suppose that was uh, another, I mean, it's grabbing at straws here, but um, Bay of Blood also had a character in a wheelchair, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's pretty grasping at straws, though. Grasping at straws, though. I'm well, sorry. It had, a, had a lake as well and trees. <laughs> yeah, and people. And I think people got killed in it too. Maybe yeah. that's true. Yeah. So, and can well, I ask? Does anyone know why does Terry throw a towel at Jason? I assume it, it's <laughs> it's a last ditch effort, maybe. No, no, no. Yeah. But she, she, if this is just after the scene where Scott get uh, falls into the oh. trap, and, and she's going yeah. back to the cabin to get a knife to cut him down, yeah. and as she's walking back, she just casually throws her towel into the bushes, which seems to be a point of view shot of, of Jason. Mm. I just always wondered, like, was she too lazy to carry it all the way back to the? Or she's she... a litter bug. Towels are very heavy. Mm. She's a litter bug. Towels. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, there's lots of unanswered questions there, which is... There is. Like, why why can't Jason see Ginny when her head is clearly peeping above the bonnet of the car? (laughs) Indeed. He's only got one eye hole. True, true, true. (laughs) I'll give Friday the 13th, too, uh, a credit. In in, in slasher films, it's always the car that never starts, but at least in this movie, it's foreshadowed in the very beginning where her car is having trouble starting. Mm. Mm. 
Mm, no, that's true. And, at the yeah. other movies, it's just conveniently won't start, but no, they foreshadowed it so that, you know, they, they get points for that. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Oops. Who's pouring what that? Yeah. Uh-huh. That was me drinking water. Okay. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah. I think that pacing got to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well I have to stay hydrated. It's so hot. <laughs> Do you want to hear a couple of little short snippets from reviews? Oh, yes. Sure. Well, I've just got... um. Roger Ebert, um, as famously Siskel and Ebert, really hated the first movie. Um, and in 1981, he gave Friday 13th Part 2 half of one star out of four, uh, stating, this movie is crossed between the mad slasher and dead teenager genre. About two dozen movies a year feature a mad killer going berserk, and they're almost, as ba- almost all about as bad as this one. Now, of course, I think we all disagree with him, but obviously when he says about two dozen movies a year feature a mad killer going berserk, that was the good old days, as far as we're concerned. I think we can probably mm. agree on that. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of other reviews. There's um, from the Wisconsin State Journal um, on May the 10th, 1981. It says, as a genre piece, part two is nothing special, full of hammers to the head and cleavers to the neck. But the teens in trouble trade should take to it while everyone else stays home. The film is well enough made to suggest that once the cast and crew are of grown-up uh, of grown-up work, they may rise to the occasion. The only, only, sorry, the only unsettling note is the care taken at the film's end to avoid resolution, thus suggesting part three is in the works. Traditions are born easily in Hollywood, so they already kind of knew that this was going to uh, go on something big. Um, there's also uh, from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, says the plot, of course, makes no sense. The acting is marginal and the ending weak. This is no Halloween or even the funhouse. At best, it's just a step above driving fodder. Um, um, damning a faint praise was Steve Fogarty in the Chronicle Telegram it says for its decidedly gruesome ad campaign Friday 13th Part 2 is surprisingly not all that bloody or gory but the acting isn't as bad as I expected either so uh, actually I was surprised that the um, the reviews weren't quite as scathing as I was imagining when I was looking through them but um, but uh, uh, you know as with many of these films um, they were hardly raves so um is there anything else we want to say about that before we go on to feedback? Did, um, did uh, am I to take from that that Ebert liked Funhouse? I'm surprised. That was, no, that. That, that, was, that was Siskel. Siskel loved. Oh, Fun Siskel. House. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, that yeah. was um, Mike Dupree from Cedar Rapids Gazette said that um, um, this is no Halloween or even Funhouse. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're right. I, I think um, Siskel did like Funhouse, didn't he? Yes, he loved it actually. Mm-hmm. You know what's weird is Roger Ebert. He's he's kind of loosened up in his old age. He actually liked the remake. Which what, one? The 13th? Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, Friday the Thirteenth. Ew. Did he? He gave it. He gave it a favorable review on his website. Oh, mm. interesting. Why were reviewers so mean back then? I think they. I think what really annoyed them was that they. It didn't matter how bad the reviews they gave them. These films just still made loads of money. And it kind of made the reviewers feel possibly quite impotent that they yeah, can actually affect the um, you know the fortunes of these movies, and I think that's why they partly hated them. Um, you know what's crazy is the more the bad reviews came out, the more people flocked to see the next you know dead teenager film. Mm-hmm. But I see, you know, I mean, it's kind of like now we see it as a term of endearment, don't we? A, a dead teenager film. That's where the see. term comes from. It, it is critic proof. That's that's where they get it from. Yeah, mm. absolutely. More so than probably. Well, I mean, superhero films are probably critic proof to some degree, aren't they? But um, um, but they yeah. seem to like them for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
But uh, yeah, well, um, is there anything else we want to say about Friday Thirteenth Part Two, or should we wrap it wrap it up and go on to feedback? I think we've pretty much exhausted everything. Mm. Yay, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two! Yay, Woo! yay! yay. Yeah, we Woo-hoo! love we love you, Friday the Thirteenth Part yeah. Two. Yes, so, great. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, well I'm, I'm actually on on the original podcast. I said that Friday the Thirteenth was a film I'd like to take into a five star hotel and do rude things to. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, I, I, I'd quite like to bring Friday the 13th Part 2 along as well and have a threesome, maybe a spit roast or something. <laughs> God. Eric, Eric you're so dirty. dirty. No, I mean, like, dirty we bird. could have a meal. We're watching oh. Animals. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, that's so, what you okay. That wasn't a euphemism, I'm sure. No. Well, I'd also like to apologise to Dana Kimmel. I, I, I'm sorry for that little slip-up. I didn't mean that you were of the canine variety. Um, I'm sure you're a lovely <laughs> so, lady. Justin, see, I thought it was weird that you said that, Justin, because you always call, you always say guppy about Dana. Uh, uh, guppy fish, yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I do love Dana, and I do, or Dana, and I do, I am looking forward to us covering Friday 13th Part 3 because I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that one. Oh, yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Well, should we just take a, a mini break here and um, we'll tell you how to write back to us um, and write into the show. So that's just coming up uh, now. Our voicemail lines are open at 858-233-9281. You can reach us via email at v.hysteria.continues at gmail.com. We are on Twitter. That's twitter.com forward slash THC underscore podcast. Facebook fans can find us at facebook.com forward slash the hysteria continues, the body count continues, or hysteria dash lives. Uh, you can check out Justin's website at hysteria.co.uk. You can check out my website at the bodycount continues.com. Nathan has his own side project at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the dash x to grind dash show that is a x e not a x and finally if you would like to purchase some merchandise you can look us up on cafepress.com forward slash the hysteria continues and we really appreciate you listening thanks everyone hi this is adrian king alice from friday the 13th and the hysteria continues All right, and this is from Truman, who writes in and says, Hey guys, I just want to say I love the show, and I have listened to every episode up to Island of Blood, and am making my way to the end goal. I love Eric and Justin, but as a fellow stateside, southbound good old boy from Atlanta, but currently living in Pensacola, it warms my heart to know there are two Tennesseans on board in the form of Nathan and Joseph. Though Joseph suspiciously sounds more like he's from the Midwest and not the South, Think Iowa or South Dakota. Okay. Anyway, one thing I wanted to ask was, will you be covering The Prowler at some point? I love that movie to death. Uh, that's from Truman. He didn't leave a last name. Mm, well, thank you, Truman. I'm sure we will get round to The Prowler, won't we? At oh, yeah. Point. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Eventually. And are you, are you originally from Chattanooga, Joseph? Or are you uh, from yes. the Midwest? Oh, yes. I am from Chattanooga. Mm. Okay. So you're not posing. You're not like a... Sleeper cell or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No. I now worked undercover. Sorry, Right. Well, thank you. As it, um, <laughs> shall I go? I've got two here. So if I read uh, read the first one and then um, go over to you, Eric, is that okay? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Sure. Okay. Well, this one says, "Hey guys, um, thanks for reading my letter a few podcasts ago. I'm truly honoured." 
by the way, the other podcast I mentioned use special effects every five seconds. You see, we thought you might have been sarcastic, but um, now we know you're not. So you guys use them, but in a more tasteful manner. Well, <laughs> so uh, um, I have to admit, you guys have totally changed the way I get to work. I work in an office and I have to drive 45 minutes back and forth. Normally, I would just hear music, but since I discovered your amazing podcast, I normally hear one podcast a day, starting the first ones you did and getting to the newer stuff. I'm really amazed how much fun I have listening in. I even started hearing them while I work, and it makes me want to look up some of these films. I just bought The Initiation and House on Sorority Road, so I can go back and re-listen to the podcast you did on them. I love the, the last podcast on the uh, the case of Bloody Iris. I love Edwidge Fenique-Jalli, um, starting from The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, to her more trashy ones like Strip Nude for Your Killer. To me, she's a symbol of the early 70s giallo, um, as much as the Black Glove Killers and the other staples of the genre. I think she just captures that 70s Euro sex symbol and she has this just she just has this charm to her. She's also visually in interesting because of her features. You can't really nail where she's from and she just has an erotic look to her. The Sergio Martino Edwige Fenicelli are my personal favourites, but second place would be the Luciani Aroli, Susan Scott and followed by Emilio P. Miraglia and Marina Malfatti I think I really think the Aroli and Morale I can never say his name. What I love about both films, um, both filmmakers, sorry, is the colours that they work with. Both their Jali don't look like the other Jali at the time. Their films were bright, colourful, fashionable, cheesy, flashy, and with wonderful music. They look like something out of a seventies fashion magazine. I know they are better made Jali, like what have they done to what have you done to Solange? The Fifth Chord, My Dear Killer, and Who Saw a Die. But I would really love your thoughts on Luciano Aroli and Emilio P. Maragallabra because they were filmmakers who only made a few films in their career. But I really think, I really think stuck out in a sea of films where all the films looked and felt the same. As a filmmaker, I'm just in love with these films. They're a perfect mix of cheese, kills, and wonderful visuals. I can't wait for the next Jali podcast. And I also got uh, my copy of Teenage Wasteland, and I love it. Such an amazing book. Thanks, Justin. Best wishes, best wishes Giovanni Baranda. So sorry if I uh, mispronounced um, Emilio P. because with a hangover, it's not, my Italian's not that good. But thank you so much for writing in. And I'm glad um, you enjoyed the Jali podcast because um, I have to agree with him. I, I got your book as well, finally. And it's a beautiful book, I have to say. It's wonderful. Thank you. I will tell you this, Justin. I showed it to Grant Grant, and he thought it was amazing. Oh, and he kept saying, you know somebody that wrote this? And I said, <laughs> yeah. And he just thought that was the most amazing thing in the world. Poor so, Grant Grant. He's so, he's so like stuck in the past. He's just he, now starting to get on Facebook. He's afraid of technology. He doesn't even yeah, have the internet. Doesn't he, really? Wow. <laughs> just on his phone. <laughs> well, there you go. But um, I think what... Uh, just going to say, Giovanni, um, thank you so much again for writing in. And um, I think we probably will cover... I'd love to actually do Strip Nude for Your Killer. Um, that'd be enough a good one to do on the podcast at some point in the future. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, well, thank you for writing in and uh, keep on listening. Um, Did he ask us what we thought about the... the uh, well, he asked us about what we thought about certain jelly, did he not? Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm getting... Um, as I was reading, I was concentrating on reading out, and I forgot <laughs> what the question was. So, um, um, we like it. We yes. like them. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. 
But yes, we will cover more of them, I'm sure, uh, in the not. Come to think future. of it, I don't think there's many Jalo films that I don't like. I, mean, I think I've liked just about every one I've seen. Hmm. I would like mm. to, it'd be good to cover one of the Susan Scott ones actually, because um, uh, they're really good fun. The, the one, especially like the one where she's a fashion model, takes LSD and sees that murder with the killer with the glove, spiked gloved hand. That's oh, death, like death walks in high, high heels, is it? Or yes, death walks at midnight? Yes, one, one of, those. of those, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. So cool. Well, thank you, uh, Giovanni and um, Eric. Have you you got? Yes, for us? I've got one here from our good friend Tosca Topsocks. Okay. <gasps> yes, Tosca. <laughs> Yay! He says, "Hey, Joseph, Justin, Eric, and Nathan. Hope all is good with you guys. I really enjoyed the Crimi Jallo episode, and whilst you guys didn't seem overly keen on the Crimi, it has tempted me to check a few out." I've really enjoyed the recent quizzes, even though you seem to play a bit fast and loose with the rules at times. And it was good to hear Eric win the last quiz, as I feared a sulk of epic proportions. Mm. Go me. <laughs> think we all, think we all. I am not the Inga of the podcast. <laughs> um, yes, you are. <laughs> just, oh, honestly, how gruesome. Um, just a it's quick a suggestion. It would be great to hear even more on what you think of some of the latest film releases, sort of like a breaking news new movie section. Whilst I try and keep on top of all new releases, I would have missed out on some gems if it hadn't been for you. I've just caught up with Wrong Turn 4 and ATM, and whilst not high art, I still had a blast. Let's face it, ATM stretched believability to breaking point, but fuck it. I still enjoyed it, and that's the main thing. Also, it had Brian Geraghty in it, and to be honest, I'd enjoy watching him open an envelope. Anyway, guys, you keep well and have a great summer. Justin and Eric will know that the summer in the UK has been terrible, so here's hoping for a sunny July. And happy 4th of July to Joseph and Nathan, and that's from Tosca Topsocks, a.k.a. Kev. Yeah, well, thank, thank you Tosca. for that, Tosca. Okay, yes. on the subject of new releases and that, I am really, really, really bad at catching up on the latest releases. Um, so am I. Particularly if they're kind of straight to video <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But I, I rely on you guys to uh, inform me. I, what, I usually hear about it second or third hand, like mm-hmm. somebody will post about it on the forum. Yeah. And I'll, it'll take me a while to read it. And I'll be like, oh, cool. But no, yeah. I could not. I could not spearhead a, a a segment about new releases. I'd be terrible yeah. at it. No, neither. Would I. Well, I, I, in my defense, I live miles away from the nearest cinema, and my local video store is kind of mainstream, so it wouldn't have a lot of, um, you know, obscure straight to DVD titles. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we kind of we talked about um, VHS, didn't we, on the last podcast? Because I think that's probably mm. the one that I'm most interested in checking out. Um, mm. But um, I can't think of anything else that's coming out. That I'm, um, you know, I've I've got a real kind of, you know, burning desire to see. Mm. Um, the only thing I can think of at the moment, and I don't even think it's went into production, is uh, Neil Marshall's new movie. Um, I I can't even remember the name of it, Hellground or something like that, where it's it's, it's a slasher film set at a, a carnival. Oh, but that's you also good. want to see VHS, don't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, well, I yeah, definitely want to see VHS. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's not a slasher film, is it? Oh, I don't even know. I haven't even seen it's the previews a, for it. An anthology kind of found footage, oh, okay. paranormal type thing. I don't know. There is oh. um, a film, and I can't remember the name of it now, um, that I read about that sounded quite good, which was the, the basic story was a, um, uh, a woman who was a final girl in a slasher movie, um, either for real, as in she was... You know, she was actually a real survivor, or she was played a final girl in a in a eighty slash movie, and then her teenage daughter's friends start dying for real, and she gives them advice about how to survive. Does that ring any bells with any of you? No, that's me. Cool. No, 
Yeah. That sounds cool, though. It does. I can't remember what it's called now, but I did read about that a few weeks or months ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've completely slipped mind where I've read that. Um, or unless I, if I dreamt it, then I'm copywriting that right now. But I don't think I did. So um, <laughs> if you know what it is, let us know. But uh, yeah, well, that's, that's good. Um, and would anyone else enjoy watching Brian Geraghty open an envelope? I don't know who honest, he is. I didn't know who he was either. Apparently he was in, let me see, I had his IMDb open earlier. He was in The Hurt Locker, and he was in I Know Who Killed Me, which I think is a great underrated film of modern times. Oh, I want to uh, see it. And is that the one with in... Lindsay Lohan? Yeah. And, uh, not Lindsay, a... is, it, is it Lindsay Lohan? Yeah, it is. I Know Who Killed yeah. Me. Is. That is He's a it... crazy, that is a, yeah. <laughs> it's so crappy, but it's enjoyable. It mm. is. He was in um, When a Stranger Calls remake as well. He played okay. Bobby. Now, I, w- I wouldn't recognize him at all, I have to say. Okay. Um, yeah, I know. I don't, that name doesn't sound familiar to me. Mm-hmm. See, I, I didn't like ATM, and I thought the characters were morons, so I don't remember who he is. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Tosca. Um, and um, I will keep an eye out for new releases. And also, bearing in mind, we are doing releasing this, um, well, recording this a fortnight before it comes out, so whatever we're talking about is going to be out of fashion in a fortnight. So, um, uh, But um, Nathan, I don't think you haven't got anything, have you? Or have you to read out? No. No. I've got nothing. Oh, okay. You just have to make something up. Dear Nathan, I love you. Signed, Nathan. Oh, well, there you oh go. that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is Nathan. Buy more detergent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got another one here. Um, and this is from Chris. Um, and he says, um, hey, Justin, been listening to the podcast since its humble beginnings. and just wanted to reach out and touch my favorite podcasters. I hope not that kind of Chris, but um, yes, Ooh, very sexy. But um, uh, my name's Chris, and I'm located in Vancouver, um, BC, which is what would that be? British Columbia. So? British Columbia, yeah. Yeah, Canada. Being as I'm a slasher fanatic from Canada, it's safe to say that most of my favourites are homegrown. Black Christmas, Rituals, My Bloody Valentine, Prom Night. The list goes on and on, and all classics, obviously. But I also dig the Jalo flicks. So another, another kind of um, a nod to the Jalo. Um, uh, dig them hard so it's great to see a few eps dedicated to them fingers crossed for torso strip nude double bill episode that's interesting again we just mentioned that didn't we one of my favorite non-canuck slasher flicks has got to be the house on sorority row and i'd love to hear your thoughts on that flick in a future episode well we covered that didn't we um mm-hmm. yeah number 12 i believe it was yeah go back and um, we've got a whole episode dedicated to that so um, and just wondering if any of you guys have seen the Pakistan slasher zombie mashup Hell's Ground, a really wild flick that's worth um, a watch for genre junkies like yourselves. And just just while we're talking about, I have seen Hell's Ground. Have any of you seen it? No, no. It sounds, it sounds like is that the same name as the new Neil Marshall movie? No, I think the Neil Marshall might be Hell Fest. I can't remember. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, I have seen Hell's Ground, and it is completely barking, completely bonkers. And for a, a film, because um, Pakistan had quite a rich heritage of um, horror movies um, until, well, uh, you know, back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, I believe. Uh, and it kind of went off the boil, I kind of guess. And Hell's Ground is very atypical, I think, for a Pakistani horror movie. But yeah, it's quite mental. It's got a, it's got a killer in a burqa chasing people with a battle axe i think if i remember correctly so um Ooh, um i want to see it yeah me worth, too worth i'm gonna out, find so. it yeah what's it called um, hell's ground hell's ground yeah what year did it come out it's probably about three four years ago 
it's definitely worth a watch. It's quite yeah. It's a it's a cross between zombie zombie and slash movie with a killer in the burka. So yeah, it's definitely worth a check out. Um, also, Chris goes on and says a suggestion for future top threes is top three Canadian slasher flicks, and he's put uh, uh, a winky face. So he's just joking, but I don't know that could be a good one. Um, I think a top three killer's death scenes would be rad. One of my favourites has got to be the demise of Jason in part three, Axe to the Head. That'd be quite a good one to do, wouldn't it? Coming yeah, up that's three. a good idea. I like yeah. that idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. One, yeah. Um, also, Big Stevie's death in Murder Loves Killers 2. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, a Murder Loves Killers um, 2 is, is a great little indie slash movie um, that I reviewed, and I think I interviewed the, the, the person who made it from a few years ago, and um, that's definitely worth checking out. Um, uh, he also says, I know Joseph and Nathan are working on a film. How's it going? Any progress? Um, so any, do you want to regale us of anything? It's kind, is of anything? A, it's kind of at a standstill right now with Nathan trying to find a house, but we will get to it. Okay, okay, right. And um, Chris also goes on and says, I'm wondering if you or Eric have ever considered writing or directing a short um, or possibly an indie feature. Um, Eric, have you ever thought about putting a director's cap on? Uh, not really, I have to say, no. Um, I did work in the sound department of a short film a long, long time ago, and I saw kind of how tedious and boring <laughs> a film set can be. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did I did make some um, very short films when I was at college, but um, they weren't very slasher-esque, although I do remember making um, making a slasher movie a bit like a kind of hairdresser massacre, I imagine, when I was at college <gasps> once, and we were all very drunk, um, but I had no idea where that went. Um, it was I made fun. one when I was a child about a cat attacking my family. It was basically, I was going, meow, meow, and I was using the camera as the POV of the cat, and when the cat would jump on someone, I'd go, (laughs) Was that called The Uninvited, by any chance? No. (laughs) It was called uh, Through the Eyes of a Cat. It was supposed to be like a a family-friendly thing, but then the cat went crazy. Well, when we were in, in college, I went. I did a media production course in college, and one of the the modules was a television module, and we made a short film clip pretending it was a slasher film because we had a panel on discussing violence in movies, and I played the victim in this slasher movie clip. But I had a real shower? problem. I sorry. Were you in a shower? <laughs> no. So, so I was, I was, breasts. No, no, I was fully clothed, okay. and I got. No, I did make a. I'm sorry. So, go ahead. I said I got hit over the head with a hammer and I had to lie there pretending I was dead, but I couldn't keep my eyes open without blinking. So the, uh, well, basically you have this dead body lying there blinking like there's no tomorrow. So I, I can't, I mean, my acting skills, you know, don't even stretch to being dead. They're that bad. Well, but mind you- I also made a, um, a stop, it's not a slasher film, but I made a stop motion movie uh, a few years ago. Um, when I was living with my ex-girlfriend, she, she had a stuffed penguin. So uh, I made the stuffed penguin walk out of a door, down a hallway. He climbed the kitchen cabinet, and he stole a granola bar from a, a basket. And then when I when I sliced it together, I put the music from the Pink Panther through it. So it's like, and he grabs the uh, granola bar, and it's like, dun, dun. That, need, that needs to go on YouTube, I think. Yeah, yeah I think I might still have it. I'll have to see if I can find it. Okay, I well, made a lot of slasher movies. Well, we know that. Yeah. Well, of course, Nathan, um, you've you've got well, most of these up on YouTube, aren't they? So you've got. So Actually, I found a new one. I got posted at some point. Have you? What an original from back 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 when? Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it, is it, is it well, I've got two. I've, two is it starring one, Hazel. 
Yes, she's in it. She's in both of them. Shoe rack in it. I can't remember. See, I made two, and I found it. I found one called Office Maniac, where it's my grandma's house, but it's supposed to be an office building in New York City. And my great aunt is picked on by her coworkers, so she goes crazy and starts trying to kill them. Um, and my grandmother's her boss, uh, Bedelia Carrington. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and my next one uh, that I found that I it's going to take a while to edit it together because it's got a lot of scenes where they messed up. It's called Vicious Grannies. It's a ripoff of Rabid Grannies, basically. Fantastic. Um, how many films is there in the old Federal Massacre series? There's just three. Just and three. they're all on YouTube. They are, yeah. Yes. Well, Chris, have a look out for those because it's definitely worth worth watching. Just to finish off what Chris was saying, he says, um, "I work in the TV film industry." primarily post-production have written and directed a handful of shorts myself so it'd be interesting to see those Chris if you can let us know we can watch them um I'm actually in the early stages of the development of an indie feature slasher of course I've just recently finished the final draft of script a breakdown and a privately raised fifteen thousand dollars thus far um which is a pretty impressive figure so the next steps are focusing on my shot list storyboards as well as continuing my fundraising I'm budgeting the film for fifty to sixty thousand dollars I know it's ultra low, but I've got lots of um, friends. Was that the kind of budget you had for the um, for Hairdresser Massacre? My budget was zero. Well, hey. well, there you go, Chris. You see, yeah, watch and learn. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, where he says, I've got lots of friends in the local industry, and also getting lots of um, cheap free work. Hopefully, everything works out, and you'll be reviewing my slasher flick within the next few years. Well, yeah, we'd be interested. Keep us informed on that. Um, and so lastly, I just picked up your book the other day and my initial reaction is it's beautifully put together. The collection of images, art is absolutely amazing. I'm only a few chapters in, but you can already tell that it's be a book that I revisit for years to come. This puppy is definitely going to be live on my coffee table for a long, long time. Keep up the good work, lads, Chris. So thanks ever so much for writing in, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm um, hopefully you answered all your questions uh, uh, during that. But um, uh, is that everything? Is that all the feedback? We have mm. left the building. We have <laughs> left the building, have we? Oh, we have. Okay. Well, we actually, we, it's quite an epic show. I think we're going to be at two and a half hours uh, now. So only befitting um, the epic Friday the 13th, part two. Um, so uh, thanks for listening. And what are we playing out with, Joseph? Um, oh, more are we going to say what we're doing next? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It's Nathan's pick. So what is it, Nathan? Yes. Uh, Prepare I yourselves. Us, <laughs> I want to keep us in the woods with "Don't Go in the Woods." Uh, alone, so, alone, yeah, alone. I, so we imagine? are going to be covering that classic, brilliant film. Okay, yes, but we're playing out with uh, more of Har- Harry Manfredini's uh, score, I believe. We are indeed. So yeah, well, thanks for joining us yet again, and um, yeah, well, happy Friday Thirteenth wherever you may be, and hopefully you don't befall um, the advances of a machete-wielding lunatic. Um, And so we'll see you next time. So, yeah, thanks for joining us. Take care. Bye. Bye.
bullshit, Ginny. No, what if there is some kind of boy or beast running around Camp Crystal Lake? I mean, let's try to think beyond the legend, put it in real terms. I mean, what would it be like today? Some kind of out-of-control psychopath? 